0: Welcome back to The Boundary Corner Podcast, and welcome to The Boundary Corner Podcast 2022 Hokie Season Preview Panel. My name is Curtis Wilson, and the brainchild behind this idea, my partner, Brian Siegler. How are you today, big buddy?
1: What's up, Curtis, man? We got a big one tonight for everybody. Uh, This has been rolling around in my brain since early spring. I'm glad we were to put it together. And... Let's just say this. I'm I'm hype. I'm hype. I'm ready I'm hyped. To, to, to,
0: to kick it with
1: these guys, to chop it up, to talk some Hokies. Let's do oh, it.
0: I, absolutely, man. So fun. We were chatting just before we got on. Everybody locked. Everybody loaded. So let's start up. Brian, our first panelist, he was a Hokie offensive lineman from 1994 to 1998. He was all Big East. He was a team captain. He is the founder of Victory Life. And the Victory Life Legacy Podcast. He's also a co-host with his cousin, this guy named Mike Vick. I don't know if you ever heard of him on the Vic Seven Five Seven Podcast. Coming to us from Northern Virginia, by the way, of the Seven Five Seven, Mister Dwight Vick. What's
2: up, man? What a dope! What that that intro is tough. That was a good intro.
1: A good
0: <laughs> you like intro. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's you a that. intro. That was good. Yeah, was I mean good.
1: We, we we gotta we gotta get some pageantry to this thing. This is this exactly. is a big thing yeah. here. We're gonna get this a little pageantry thing. here.
0: Yeah, but Dwight, no we appreciate doubt. you no joining doubt. us tonight, man. But uh, and we, we're looking forward because we got some good questions for you. We got a lot of good questions from the audience. Brian, let's bring our next panelist. Yep, our next panelist, he's hunkered down in Blacksburg,
1: Virginia. He's got a big day tomorrow with Hokie Media Day. He's the managing editor of Tech Sideline. And he holds down one of the coveted gray chairs on that
3: podcast. Ladies
1: and gentlemen, David Cunningham.
3: What's up, guys? Uh, glad to be back. My second time being on your guys' podcast. We had a lot of fun last time and excited for the panel.
1: Hell yeah. Welcome back. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I know you're excited about all the uh, the media day shenanigans tomorrow and uh, some of the practice uh, periods you get to watch and everything. So big okay. day, a big day.
0: Big day, all right, Brian. Next, as Brian has always said, this is a offensive lineman podcast. So, Hell yeah. of course, <laughs> we've got another Hokie offensive lineman. From 2013 to 2016, he played for the Hokies. He was an All ACC offensive lineman. Currently, he is the co-host of the Locker Room Podcast with fellow with fellow Hokie alumni Luther Maddie, live from Charlotte, North Carolina, the Queen City. We got John McLaughlin. John, how are you, man? Doing well,
4: man. Glad to be here. This is also my second time. And like you said, y'all love linemen, so I love coming on here. So let's do it.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Anytime we get a chance to get a lineman on here, we take that advantage. Welcome back. Appreciate you jumping on with us. This is going to be a big night tonight. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: All right. So the the next man on this list uh, needs no introduction. He's coming to us from the 757. Uh, He's been holding it down since 2013. Thirteen as the host of Don V Fridays, the legend himself, Don V.
5: Hey, how y'all doing? I'm Vito. I oh, ain't nobody, man. I'm just a fan, bro. I'm just happy to be here. You,
1: you've been you've been doing it big for a while, man. We appreciate you jumping on. We, we're looking forward to chatting up with you.
5: Oh, thanks for having. Me.
0: Appreciate you coming, Vito. All right, next man we got coming on here. He is the co-host of the Victory Life Podcast. And on the weekends, he's running the weekend and the overtime host at 1067 to Fan in DC. He is live in the live here in the West End of RBA where he used to be the producer for Radio 910 show, Mr. Danny Noakes.
6: Danny, how you doing tonight, man? What's going on, gentlemen? Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here. It's great to be among this great panel, these great panelists. There's a lot of great people here today. So I appreciate y'all including me.
1: Not a problem. Glad to have you on. I appreciate you jumping on with us. It's gonna be a good time. We got uh, we got a, a couple more here. We're gonna move next to uh, we got we got a couple guys that are you know sons of Saturday affiliates here. The first one up, you can hear this man on the Hokie Hangover, Sons of Saturday Hoop Pod, Basketball Conference Football Podcast. You can catch him breaking news for SI and uh, of late dropping new dad picks on the socials. From all over the state of Virginia, Mike McDaniel.
7: What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on.
0: Mike, how are you doing tonight? Did you change a diaper right before you hopped on?
7: (laughs) Not right before, but it's called a half hour before. There we
0: go. It it was in the ballpark. It was in the vicinity. (laughs) It was in the vicinity.
7: We know how that goes,
0: man. Mike, we appreciate you joining us here tonight.
7: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: All right, one more person. Next panelist, he's checking in. From the West Coast in sunny, and he's saying hot LA, which I know that's that's unusual for them out there. He is the co-founder and one-third of the Sons of Saturday podcast, a preseason trailer maven. If y'all hadn't seen what he dropped a couple of weeks ago, that it was tight. I loved it. Also, a guy who's got some connections back to Halifax County for me and Mister Siegler here, Grayson Wimbush. How you
8: doing tonight, man? What's going on, gentlemen? How we doing? Thank you for having me in the building. I'm I'm very, very excited about this. Well, yeah, we
1: appreciate you jumping on. I'm looking forward to it. I know uh you're out there in, in sunny LA. I'm surprised that you're you're hotter than us. I know we, we got some we got some eighty mid eighties temps coming up next week and you guys are probably out there blazing. Oh that's yeah, crazy. man.
8: It's it's a dry heat back on the East Coast, y'all got that humidity that we don't have here. So, <laughs> 100% on that, Grace. And I think
0: it was 90 and like a 106 index here in Richmond today. Walk outside, start sweating before you uh, take three steps. So, absolutely. Oh, you know me,
1: I'm sweating. I'm sweating standing still at 73.
0: So, if it's humid.
1: Brian, you, <laughs> I'm, you, you I'm sweating cooked. in the
0: wintertime. And you know that. <laughs> Not I'm even a joke. <laughs> all right. So, guys, we really appreciate you all joining us tonight. A lot of great voices. A lot of great voices, a lot of good opinions, got a lot of good thoughts, a lot of good background. So before we jump on it, we're just going to say a couple things. For the live listeners tonight, if you guys have any questions or comments for this panel, let us know. If your questions are for a specific panelist, please specify that panelist so we can get them to question. So we might throw some on here in real time. Some of you guys did respond yesterday to a tweet Brian put out. We really appreciate that. Now, one other thing, kind of already talked about it with the guys here. Big thank you to all of again and to all you listeners joining us tonight. A lot of fun going to happen. But what we're going to start off with is we're going to give everybody one question. Y'all know we gave y'all those earlier. Just, I, I, you know, I don't, like, I don't like, you know, ambushing anybody. But for the other guys, kind of we mentioned it before, if y'all have something y'all want to say, feel free to piggyback. If you've got a different viewpoint, let us know. And uh we'll do it. So Brian, what we got up first?
1: <clears throat> All right. So we're gonna let our elder statesman Dwight Vick lead off tonight. First question for him. Um, since uh Coach Pry was hired, you've had a chance to talk with him a few times. Is there a standout intangible factor for success that you think Brent Pry brings to the table that might help the team this year?
2: Oh yeah, that's you guys can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah we, we got
1: you. We got you. Yeah, that's
2: a, great, that's a great question. You know, I, I you know I, I know Coach Pryor, but seeing him in this role, being back in Blacksburg and talking to him, um, I talked to him at the spring game. I was there um, several weeks after the spring game. They were doing some install right before the season kicked off. Um, Text him when he first got the job. The biggest difference I see um, in just him being here in, in six months is that he's invested. He cares. Um, I know that's like a simplistic answer, but at the end of the day, I think you can tell. And just talking to him and talking to some guys up here in the DMV where I live, Northern Virginia, Maryland, DC, kids I know being recruited, they just know it's a different energy, and you can just tell like he's really invested in Virginia Tech. It's not, you know, a, a midpoint stopping ground. Like he is really trying to put a foothold in Virginia throughout the Commonwealth, but also he's really connecting to the alumni, like the guys like me and McLaughlin and and all the guys from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, and the 2000s. And I think in regards to this season, I think when you got guys like Eddie Roy coming back, you know, I'll be up there probably next week, and a lot of guys are coming back just to come and watch practices. Um, There's a connection there where the last five years there was a disconnect between what the expectations for Virginia Tech football should be and what the previous regime had. And I don't think those guys, I said this on Don V's space before. I don't think the current players or the guys that just recently left understood what it meant to be a Hokie football player. I think it was just, they were competing, wearing the colors and uniform. But I think the guys there now, specifically prior and his staff, from what I see, they understand what it means and what they are supposed to be doing. Like he just genuinely cares uh, about the program. My last point, uh, when i was there for the spring game i talked to him he, you know we chopped it up he, he wanted to take a picture of my wife he talked to every former player that came through when we were at the field house so uh actually the indoor spot getting some barbecue he's just talking and he just you can just tell it's not like fake it's not manufactured hype like he really has a plan you can just tell that the players are buying to it you know as much as i love the former players we're not playing no more the current guys they they're they're rocking with him, and and i think you can just see the energy when they're practicing i talked to a few guys that are on the team now and they were talking about this is the hardest they've ever worked since they've been at tech so i love hearing
1: that yeah it sounds like that emphasis on uh that competition that competitiveness at practice and i think that's the big thing in getting back to that 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 culture that virginia tech built you know it started started with uh you know the guys before you you, you kind of built on that and then Obviously, in the two thousands, that got taken to a, a different level there. So, getting that culture back and understanding, as you said, what it means to be a Hokie, I think that's
0: going to be big for this year. For no sure. doubt, absolutely. All right, so let's flip it over and let's take a look at what's going inside this camp. You've heard about the competition and stuff. So, I'm going to flip it over to David Cunningham. David, you know, you've had some uh, up close look at the camp practices since last week. You know, some some views on Wednesday and Friday. Other than quarterback. Because we all want to know, is it going to be Grant Wells? Is it going to be Jason Brown under center at 730 down at ODU? What other key position battles do you have your eyes on um, and about to get your first look at week two tomorrow and start speaking with people?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I think uh, Grant Wells, I think most people know that Grant Wells is kind of a leading candidate right now. And the coaching staff is kind of not – Said it directly, but they've alluded to it. But as far as other position battles go, w- one of the things I've I've said multiple times, whether it's on the Tech Sideline podcast or written articles or said it on the radio, is that Tech's starting twenty-two on both sides of the ball is is pretty solid. Um, but it's the depth, it's the the young guys that um, that that's really where the, the question marks lie. Um, I think wide receiver Caleb Smith, he's proven. Jaden blue transferred from temple. We kind of know what he's going to bring to the table, but Dewan Lofton, uh, Jaywin Jones, uh, Dallin wright that kind of, that group of guys. Um, I'm really curious to see who kind of steps up as wide receiver. Number three, number four, um, even some young guys like, like freshman Tucker Holloway, you know, he was repping with the twos last week in practice. Um, I think that position group, it can't just be two guys the entire season. Um, and as on the other side of the ball, I think at Sam Linebacker, that's a new position for Brent Pry in, in this defensive scheme. Um, Keonta Jenkins, J.R. Walker, and, uh, and Keeley Lawson are all working there. And it seems like Keonta Jenkins has the edge, but these are three guys who have never played the position before. So, how that position unfolds, kind of what Brent Pry is looking for, and Chris Marv, the defensive coordinator, what they're looking for in that position, I think those are, are the two main um main position battles, so to speak. I'm I'm keeping my eye on.
0: Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. You talk about the twenty-two. I think most of us would say you look around at the twenty-two like we have good players, but it's getting to twenty-three to thirty-five where it's like, this is scary. If you know, if somebody goes down, we could be in a we could definitely be in a lot of trouble.
3: Yeah, especially especially when you look at the offensive line and defensive line. I think that's kind of the defensive line is a little bit more depth but um but especially on the offensive line it's a lot of lot of guys working um in the in the two deep with that second and third teams that are maybe former walk-ons or current walk-ons and um you know when you've only got four or five guys that up front that have, that have played before in a ACC game or fbs game period um you know if there's some injuries you know that that doesn't really bode well for your season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, depth in the trenches is definitely my my biggest fear, and I'm just going to kind of swing this over to uh, to, to John here. Um, back in the spring, um, Coach Price said, you know, we kind of got six offensive linemen that he feels like he's ready to go with, and there's a lot of question marks after that. You know, since then we've got a couple, um, you know, true freshmen that have hit the roster. Uh, we had one that switched from defensive line to offensive line. So let me ask you this, from your experience. Uh, and thinking specifically about Joe Rudolph with this current roster, uh, were certain coaches in, in your past able to push you harder and get more out of you than others, and how necessary you think that will be for the offensive success this year?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think back to when Jeff Browns was the coach, and we were always competing. He would sometimes put a third string in the first string for practice, and that first string guy was looking like, you know, why is he? In the first stream, it's, it's because you slacked off yesterday. So I think I think Coach Rudolph's got that mentality too, man. I, I think he's he's all about competing. Um, and, you know, he's, he's so technical with his coaching. And I think I, with the clips I even saw, just the way they're getting their eyes in the right place and everything to watch. Um, so that kind of helps the death because I think they're going to be coached well. I think that, that second group going to be coached well and they're going to get in there early um but yeah like like david said you know one man go down you know we're looking on on paper we're looking you know kind of rough there on the depth but with coach rudolph we we definitely got some help i would say that
1: yeah that's good to hear i I think you know as you said getting getting guys that are coached up and at least know what they're doing how to do it have the fundamentals in place and, and that gives you something to build off and i think some of the young guys uh particularly um, thinking Braylon Moore and uh, Xavier Chaplin. I think yeah, you know, they definitely have um you know high ceilings, even if they weren't necessarily the highest rated guys coming in. So I think there's
0: there's some there's some opportunity there as well. Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna flip it over to Vito next here. Vito, you were one of the first on the fire food train several years ago. <laughs> You've talked into <laughs> You've he talked. Hey, ass. hey, it was you. You, 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 were the lead. you were the lead dog on that when yeah. we all tip our hat to you. But you've even mentioned on your show a few times about how the prior regimes kind of hurt players' careers and their shortcomings. Mm. You take a look at this roster this year. Is there anybody that the prior regimes maybe failed you think that could stand out in 2022? Or maybe it's a good player and it goes from being a good player to like that boy's going to get drafted in the first two rounds and make some money.
5: Um, I mean, for real, for real, I think everybody that was kind of negatively affected left already, Uh, whether that was to the draft or to the workforce. I think everybody was just like, yo, we out. Um, So there really was no good answer because, I mean, Dax came back, um, but he's had a full career already. So I would say Malachi Thomas, even though he was hidden. I wouldn't say they failed him last year. He was a freshman, but he was hidden. So now, you know, only only thing I can say is who else have they stashed that we don't know. It's probably more mystery than Because who we saw, who got failed, they left for real. real.
0: I, I like that point, man. I love the point you just made about the negativity that, you know, some of the guys are gone that had that negative outlook. And I laugh about your Dax. Your Dax had a full career. Dax just got lucky with COVID. He gets one more season. Um, hey, yo, hold talk- on, hold on.
2: Hey, bro. Oh, go Curtis. ahead. Go ahead, big Dwight. How long, is, how long has Dax been there?
0: This is
5: his fifth year.
2: Oh, so it's just five years? Yeah. yeah. It, feels, it feels like seven, bro.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it feels like seven, yo. I'm,
2: I'm not, no, it it Dax, does feel like he's
1: been I, here for a minute, for right, real. Dax, is, Dax is.
2: is my guy. I just, you know, I, I it's like he's been here a
0: long time. Like, when I go back and watch old games, I'm like, he's there. You
1: know, he was, <laughs> 18, 19,
0: 20, 21, and 22. Yo. I think one reason it feels that way is Dax was such a big recruit out of high school. I mean, he was like a top 150 player. So it, we heard him. We've been hearing Dax's name since late 2016. Exactly. But to the point, I, I like what Don said there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kudos to that, man. Because what you just said about, are there players that got stashed that were in dog houses that were good players that the other staff just didn't put on the field. And I to be honest, what Dwight said, what we're hearing about Joe Rudolph, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think if you're the best player, I don't care who you are, you're gonna be on the field against ODU in September.
1: Yeah, I'm with that. I, I agree. I think they're gonna they're gonna find a way to get the best guys out there. And I think I think talent evaluation so far has been better with the new regime, just from what I'm seeing with how they're playing with the depth charts, um, how they're getting more out of guys that we didn't see really a lot from last year. Um, I don't think you just see that success out the gate, but, you know, we'll see how that turns into anything in 2022.
0: David Cunningham, you got somebody.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah, I mentioned Keyshawn King. Um, I think he's a running back who, You know, he's entering his third or fourth season now, and we saw glimpses of him, whether it's in the backfield or returning kicks. But, you know, he kind of – I don't want to say he had off-the-field issues, but there were things that held him back from playing. And he – you know, when Brent Pry and the staff came in, Brent Pry admitted, okay, there are going to be guys that leave. There are going to be guys that don't gel with the culture and want to leave. And, and clearly Keyshawn King is a guy, and he's just one example of a guy who maybe got in that doghouse in air quotes, if you want to put it that way, who, you know, has an opportunity now. Um, you know, we've seen in, in the two practices I got to see last week with the rest of the media, you know, Keyshawn King's looking explosive. He's, you know, he's looks like he's developed more. And I'm curious, with this new culture around the program, how many other guys like that who were maybe held back um, or didn't receive an opportunity because of something that went on, maybe behind the scenes, discipline related, whatever it might be, that are getting a new life, so to speak, with this new staff?
0: Hey, John, go ahead with what you got to say, man.
4: Yeah, I was I was gonna say, man, you, you haven't seen a lot of players leave, and um, that, that's important. That's important that a lot of a lot of players haven't left for the portal, or even when you know Coach Fuente came in and Beamer was gone. We had Trey Evans left, we had Kendall left for the draft. You haven't you haven't seen a lot of that this year, you know. So, um, and I, I think that's important that they're actually saying, hey, we want you to stay. We want you to be a part of this thing, or at least give the spring a try. You know, then you know you see where you go. I think they've had those one on one meetings with these players, so that that, that means a lot too.
1: Yeah, it it sounded like out the gate that Price said he was going to have a lot of difficult conversations with folks and, you know, be honest with where where they're standing now and where they, you know, potentially see them standing, you know, by the end of spring and then by the start of fall, whether that is a position change, whether that is focusing more on being a depth uh, player this year versus somebody that's going to be in the starting lineup consistently. And once you have those conversations, that at least gives those players the, uh, you know, the ability to make the best decision for them, whether it's. You know, sticking around and, and, and being a part of it, or or you know, seeing what they can do elsewhere. Um, but let's let's pivot a little bit. Uh, Danny, kick this one over to you. Um, you spent the spring game in the booth with Mike Burnup, and I assume you had a little time with the team that weekend as well. Uh, what part of this team do you hope has improved the most since you called that game back in April?
6: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Brian. And that was a pretty incredible experience. Just sharing the booth with Mike Burnup. I've I, everyone has asked about how that has been, how it went, and and just being alongside him. He's just an encyclopedia of Virginia Tech knowledge, whether it's football uh, or or any other sport, especially football. Though that man is incredibly talented, and we are very lucky to have him in Blacksburg. Um, but in, in the production meeting that we had before that game, the the day before, I, we definitely got the chance to talk to Brent Pry, and there's there were a lot of takeaways from that, some overall things um, that I thought were interesting. You know, he's obviously a defensive guy that came over from Penn State, and he believes that a strong defense in this conference will take you as far as that you need to go. Uh, you know, you look at all the success that a team like Clemson has had recently. and although they're incredibly talented on both sides of the ball, They've been mostly predicated on on playing defense, with with the exception of Deshaun Watson's success. You know, um, they've had a, a, a litany of incredibly talented defensive players. So when you play on the coastal, where it's even uh, more wide open, it, it becomes even more important, I think, to, to have a good defense. And I think that is there. Uh, you you have him bringing in his scheme, and, and the, his players uh, will come as as he gets to recruit. And there's obviously a, a, a palpable hype. Uh, surrounding this Virginia Tech program that we haven't seen for a very long time, and I think that's going to help them. But when it comes to the exact answer to your question, Brian, it kind of goes back to a theme of, of what we've all been talking about so far in this podcast, and it's that they need some help on both the offensive and the defensive line. They need some improvement on both the offensive and the defensive line. What I remember most about that game is Jason Brown had absolutely no time to do anything. I mean, he was running for his life every time he took a snap. Every time he took a snap. I swear, I don't remember a snap where he was not under some sort of pressure. And to me, he wasn't going up, or he didn't have the the number one offensive line in front of him. So what that tells me is they, they have some depth issues right there. Uh, but uh, if you flip it over and, and look at what Grant Wells and, and you know, everyone remembers the the touchdowns he threw over the top, and those were impressive. But... You know, you'd like to see the defensive line get some pressure there as well. So, I'd like to see them, you know, in the trenches improve on on both sides of the ball. And I think that they have the coaching staff to do that. And and the last thing that I'll say too is just an overall takeaway from from being among that staff for that spring game weekend is that Brent Pry is very reliant right now on his offensive coordinator Tyler Bowen to obviously run the offense and and help get things set there but you know brent is still figuring out how to you know the same way he sees defense as a defensive coordinator he wants to see it on the offensive side of the ball he wants to figure out how to make other defensive coordinators squirm and, and how to figure out how to you know, use this personnel that they have to to their advantage so um i there the the foundation of of a lot of success that we've seen through this Virginia Tech program have that we're used to seeing where they're regularly competing for ACC championships, that foundation is being built. The bricks are being laid right now. It's just going to be about staying healthy this season. Can you get consistent play on in the trenches, both offensive defense the side of the line, and then, you know, over time, can you get those recruits in?
0: Yep, yeah, I love that you said it. It's it's the play of those two lines, Danny, because I think we have some good players there. I think you look at – Silas, you look at Johnny Jordan, you look at, you know, more on the right side of the guard there. You look at some of the guys on the – we have good players. It's just nothing behind it. So that health is important because if you tell me – and this ain't going to happen, for the guys that played in here collegiately, Brian, John, Dwight, specifically point out to y'all, y'all know playing the line and playing against the defensive line, people are going to get hurt. Whether it's a nick and you're out a couple weeks, you miss a practice – and God forbid, you know, a guy out six eight weeks where it's if that happens, that's going to be you know catastrophic or uh, catastrophic for this team. So you know, I hope we can avoid that because I think we've got good enough players to compete with everybody on the schedule this year. Yeah, I,
1: I, I'll pick you back on that just real quick before I let you get into the next one. But I'll just say, um, and I know I know John had talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think that. W- we're we're struggling depth-wise, but I feel like with, with some of these new coaches, particularly Rudolph, since we're talking in the trenches, I feel like our baseline is at least raised a little bit because you are going to have a little bit better foundation in those guys that are further down the depth chart to, to maybe lean back on. So, yeah, you might not have guys with a lot of experience, guys with this, that, and the third, but you will have guys that are – for their youth and inexperience, are still more prepared probably at baseline than what we've seen recently.
2: Hey, yo, and also too, and also too, man, you don't get experience. You get experience by playing. And then on top of it, if you get to the last three years, um, one of the biggest issues with the offensive line wasn't you had some. You had some really great players individually, but many times in game situations, short yardage, critical plays, red zone, you had a lot of illegal man downfields, pre snap penalties lack of focus, I think with Rudolph there, like when Grounds was there with John and guys like J.B. Grimes who coached me, um, you're going to have guys in the two deep that are going to know what they're going to do. I think many times in previous seasons, our offense was not coached well when it came to the trenches. There was a lot of mistakes made in RPO situations and guys did not know what they were doing. Like if a guy went out, another guy came in and just did not know. It wasn't even about physical play. It was like lack of understanding scheme and concept.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, th- I think, as you said, Rudolph's going to help help raise that baseline. So that's going to definitely help downstream, even if you don't have, again, that that game experience and, and aren't necessarily the most uh, you know highly rated guy uh, on that side of the ball.
0: Curtis, I'm going to let you kick the next one over to Mike. Oh, yeah. So, Mike McDaniel, <clears throat> you are constantly talking Hokies. I mean, everywhere. Probably in your hometown as much as you do with podcasts. But if all these things you wear in your industry, fill in the blank on this. And I'm almost going to piggyback and say you can't say quarterback because that ain't fair. But I'll but i but I but I won't I won't hold it against you. If blank has a great season, the hokie will exceed ex, the Hokie's will exceed expectations in 2022.
7: I mean, it's the obvious answer. It is quarterback. It is Grant Wells. <laughs> like, Virginia Tech, I mean, Virginia Tech has not had a Stable quarterback room in years like you got Gerard in 2016, went really well. You had basically a full year of Josh Jackson, and then he gets hurt in 2018. And since then, it has been chaos. The wrong quarterback started the 2019 season. Then, by the time you hand it over to the hooker, he wins whatever it was six out of seven or seven out of eight. He had 13 touchdowns to two picks, threw for over 1500 yards. And then Fuente and his staff make him compete for the starting quarterback job again. In 2020, that didn't make any sense, right? And the rumors were that if you know Burmeister didn't break his foot, you know later in the season didn't have COVID, early, <coughs> you know he might have had more of a hand early in the year in the starting quarterback job. Like that should never have happened. You see what what Hooker's doing now at Tennessee. Obviously, he would never have done that at Virginia Tech because he wasn't getting the coaching. He's now getting at Tennessee with Heupel and the way that he grooms quarterbacks. He just was not getting that in Blacksburg. But, yeah, it is the quarterback position with Grant Wells because Virginia Tech hasn't had stability at that position in a long time. It's obvious like when the offense really started to drop off, really started to crater under Fuente and Cornelson, It's when they stopped developing quarterbacks after Josh Jackson, it was kind of a disaster short of that six or seven game stretch of Hendon Hooker. So it's got to be Wells. Tyler Bowen has got to get him comfortable early on. Um, the, the one difference, I think, between what Pry is inheriting and what Fuente is inheriting is that pry got his work cut out for him a lot more than Fuente did. There was still a lot of talent on that 2016 roster and not to say that there's on this Virginia tech roster, but it is not, it is not the same in 2022 that it was in 2016 when Fuente took over. And I think we can all acknowledge that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's crazy to see that, you know, at one point we had three former four-star quarterbacks on this roster and couldn't seem to figure out what to do with any of them. it, it, it the, the ineptitude that, that, that created, I, I feel like it was the downfall. And I mean, you can point fingers at Fuente, you can point fingers at Corn, and, you know, truthfully the, the fault lies with both of them in some ways, because, you know, at some point if something's not working, you gotta, you gotta move on and do something different. You can't just keep. I mean, they had to go,
7: they had to go get a quarterback from Kansas because they couldn't figure out which four star that was already there to, to start with. I mean, it was a disaster. So, and Willis Willis had his moments, but it was pretty clear how the offense was clicking when Hooker came into that Miami game. Um, there was there was a clear difference in the offense. And instead of kind of riding with that, Fuente and Cornelson going into 2020 kind of messed around with it, and it should never have happened. A hundred percent on that. That should have been Hendon's job from
0: Jump Street because of what he had done at the end of the year. And even the two losses that he had legitimately – were the best game of quarterbacks ever had at UVA, and then that bowl game. Well, um, you know we all know how that bowl game
8: went because that was some <laughs> wild shit beforehand. That that uh, was the best. That was the best game a quarterback had at Kentucky. Apparently that day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's running ever. Receiver. Yeah, like what? Damn,
0: running <laughs> quarterbacks all the time, man. But yeah. you know, I, I knew you were going to say quarterback. I knew you were. Um, but I think it's it's. I think someone like Malachi Thomas, like if you tell me Malachi Thomas breaks a thousand yards this year, I think that means overall a few things. A, the offensive line stayed healthy. That meant probably Grant played well. I think you could choose a few different people, but if you tell me Grant Wells goes out and you know plays good, yeah. But I, I, you know, I'm always one of these challenges. Like, is there anybody else you want to talk about? Just because quarterback's <laughs> always the answer. If you've got an elite quarterback, a six win team can become a nine or ten win team, and a quarterback
1: definitely smooths it out. I mean, I as right. Grayson just brought up, you know, Lynn Bowden there. I mean that, that that's a team that yeah, good on the defensive side of the ball, but the offense was pretty much run Lynn Bowden and nothing else at that <laughs> point. And, but.
7: Well i saw I saw David teal post today like if Grant wells just continues the production that he had his first couple of years at Marshall that he would have the best production at the quarterback position for Jane Tag in like two decades, so why don't we just do that yeah yeah that, I'll take
1: it i mean especially if we if we can keep interceptions to ten or under oh yeah Dude, let's roll with it roll with it um i'm gonna kick it over to Grayson here um you recently got to sit down with the man himself Brent pry um and he's had you know he said he's gonna be calling the defense um, come this fall um, at, least, you know, at least through 2022. We'll see if that continues uh, going forward. Um, but what has you more excited this year? Uh, Prize attacking uh, Bud Foster inspired defense or Bowen's smash mouth spread offense.
8: Well, first I'll say this. I'm excited about the defense because a pride will be calling it. And we just have so much experience on the defense. You have two bell cows in fifth-year seniors, Dax Holifield and Shamari Connor. Uh, so, I mean, they're going to know what's going on. They're going to be flying around out there. Uh, a lot of experience across the board. Um, but, I mean, it's got to be the offense. I mean, we've been through it the last five years, gentlemen. Like, it's insane. So, I mean, you know, uh, David Cunningham, he talked about, is it going to be Grant Wells? Is it going to be Jason Brown? Are we going to see Connor Blumberg taking some reps? He's still listed as a QB on the depth chart, also an athlete too. So I don't know, but I, I I agree with David. I think it's going to be Grant Wells. Um, You know, I think you all would agree with this sentiment. If the offense isn't contributing to us winning football games, I don't care what kind of numbers they're putting up. The previous regime put up numbers, and that became a scapegoat there at the end but they didn't put up a lot of victories and that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, You know, I think I'm really excited about Caleb Smith. He's the bell cow on the offense. He's the guy you see it in all the videos, like on social media and everything. He's, he's the leader. He's the guy that the younger guys look up to. Uh, I guess I have to wonder like who steps up. I think Dwayne Lofton is going to have a breakout season. I think Malachi Thomas can be dangerous uh, it'll be interesting to see how we incorporate Keyshawn King again. Um, Chance Black, Kenji Christian, two new guys on the block in the running back room. Uh, I think another guy who has the potential to have a breakout season is uh, Nick Gallo at tight end. There's a lot of talk about him being very dangerous this season. Apparently, he's improved a lot in camp. Um, while we have some young guys on the offensive line, you have Johnny Jordan, you have Silas Zanzi in the locker room. Uh at the end, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to expect, and that's why I'm excited about it. I, I have no expectations going into the season, so we'll see, man. Let's go. I'm rooting for Tyler Bowen. It can't be worse <laughs> than what we had. Please.
1: I, I'm with you because I feel like we, you know, we somewhat know, like prize a known quantity. Uh, we, we've we seen a lot of tape from Penn State, stuff from Vanderbilt. He's He's the head guy. He's calling the defense still. So we've got – a, a little bit more of a, of a point of focus where we can look back and bring some tangible things out. But there's a lot of things that we can't really quantify with Bowen yet. And I think that not knowing that also kind of feeds that excitement, right? So I, I feel like the offense, you know, aside from all the other things with how the offense has been a roller coaster you know, the last six years, um, just that kind of unknown factor to a point uh, of what we're going to get with this offense, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Dwight, you got some things to say about leadership. Go ahead, man.
2: Yeah, no, no. When uh, Grayson was talking, it just took me back to when uh, I heard Caleb on uh, uh, Don V's uh, 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 podcast and uh, Don V Fridays, and it was really refreshing and insightful.
5: No, he was on TTP. Sorry, TTP.
2: Okay. I apologize. Shout out to Tim. Um, but it was really, really insightful because um, – it was stuff i knew like just being a former player you could just tell like it was it was just one of those things where he was speaking with conviction but he was also providing insight because even though um grayson is 100 right the offense put up numbers they hear that they couldn't do they couldn't get extra work in when the when the field was closed and and not being able to watch film after practice stuff that i did back in the late 90s um you know, like, just – and also, to the leadership. Like, I agree, I agree with Grayson. Like, Grayson talking about, like, leadership with with him. I think that's another thing that we've been missing, which I feel like is there this year where you have established leaders. I think if you look at any Virginia Tech, Big East, or ACC championship team, or even teams that won eight, nine, ten games, there were established leaders on the team. You can see it when you watch the game on television. You saw guys talking. Um, even guys like D'Angelo Hall, when he – you know, called out Miami in 2003 when they had won 30-something-plus games. And he said, I think we're better. I I don't think Miami's all that. He took a stand. I don't think you really had a lot of leaders in recent years. And I think that was more so because of the culture in Blacksburg because I don't really think anyone felt comfortable taking that kind of stand. And if they did, it became divisive where the team wasn't close. And I just – I think Grayson is 100% spot on with Smith being one of the established leaders. And I think those kind of things are one of those – characteristics you look back on the season when they what regardless of what they win if they have a good season you say oh yeah they had this player he was really good but he was also a leader and you know and i just think that was a that was a great point by Grayson
3: yeah if i if i may butt in here you know speaking with Caleb Smith down in Charlotte at the ACC kickoff was was really eye opening um and this was all stuff Caleb kind of just let loose kind of the same stuff he said on the podcast um, he told me about how, you know, his his former position coach uh, told him at the end of the season in December last year, he suggested that he transfer to an FCS school or a Division two school like that's, you know, the, the culture, uh, least, especially on the offensive side of the ball, just didn't seem to be there. You know, he he told me. That he and Braxton Burmeister had plenty locker room conversations, plenty heart to you know many heart to hearts where they were both just like, it's not in our hands. there's nothing we can do about it and And I know you know Caleb's a guy who's a former walk-on. Um, you know he's been in the program for a really long time. He had to earn his keep, so to speak. You got Silas Janzy, um Johnny Jordan even he's a transfer, but he's played college football for a really long time don't that's not even to, you know without mentioning Drake Duolis and Nick Gallo a tight end two mm-hmm. fifth or sixth year guys there there are a lot of veterans in, in this room and i think f- from my understanding especially on the offensive side of the ball it got a little bit out of hand where guys didn't necessarily have an opportunity to to kind of be themselves and be a leader and step up it was more I don't know if drill sergeant style is the way to describe it, but kind of, hey, you're going to do this, and if you don't do this, you're you're getting punished. And, you know, coaches can kind of lead their programs, in, you know, in, in various styles, but it, it clearly did not work out, you know, especially in latter stages. So to, to talk with Caleb Smith, to talk with Silas Janzi, even Dax Highville on the defense side of the ball, to get a sense of, you know um, – I think it was Silas who who told me that he's having fun. They're enjoying practice. They can be themselves. They don't, it, you know. It, Caleb Smith told me that he because uh, he got the yeah, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for for excessive celebration in the spring game. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. he told me he told me that it kind of just all came out because the old staff didn't let him celebrate if they scored during practice. Just just simple things where you know, they can now be themselves, And leaders can kind of emerge naturally, if that makes
0: sense. That makes, that makes 100% sense because in the situations like this, the coordinators and everything are there, right? The guys that play, they're there, and they're supposed to help you learn to lead. And eventually the range are to be taken. Dwight, you were a captain. John, you guys played. You were a crucial part of an offensive line. You've got to have those leaders in the locker room. You've got to have the guys that take the range, right? And from the way everything is sounding, what we've been hearing the last few weeks, especially on the offensive side of the ball, nobody wanted to take the range for fear. And you can't play football that way. Like you can't. Like you can't play football. I'm man, I don't want to I don't want to celebrate and you know run laps. You know, that's that's something. You know, it's like doing something at work. It's like, man, I'm not getting on that project and getting because it's a crap project. I don't want to get in trouble.
1: Well, I'll say this too. You can be a hard-o coach and not, you know, have silent lunches and ban people from the facilities during certain hours and all this other stuff. I mean, you can be a hard coach. You can push your players, you know, sometimes beyond the limits that, that they think they can reach, but, but still, you know, not be – ridiculous with the the things that you're putting in place because i don't think anyone's benefiting from not watching more film no one's benefiting from not creating camaraderie during meals with their teammates like that that type of stuff is not not building the team and building the culture that you want for to win so that's just my two cents on it um and and it's sad that it seems like that kind of defeatist attitude like really fed into the offense especially as, as the year went on last year's, but.
2: Hey B, B, I said that, I said that on my show with Danny and I, one time um, when Dorian strong got the interception on the Friday night game against BC, he got, it was a key drive, a key stop early in the first quarter. Anytime a defensive bat at Virginia tech, since even before the Beamer era got a pick, he was trying to take it to the house. Dorian looked to the sideline for certainty. He didn't know he looked for advice. He He looked and he, kind of stumbled and he yeah. got hit and he fumbled the ball subsequently bc got the ball back and scored that's what i mean about culture and being assertive and knowing what you can and cannot do you know roniel whitaker brandon flowers garnell wiles DeAngelo hall cam chancellor so on and so on they didn't have to do that they had torian gray and all those defensive guys uh, coach foster coach Ward, that gave him the green light to make plays and Again, I mean, I just think that's why I go back to the culture we have established right now. And we're not even really in the
1: midst of it yet. We're still scratching the surface. I think about Blackshear trying to push the pile instead of reaching out for the goal line, too, uh, for fear of, you know, getting punished for a fumble or something like that, just trying to make a play. Hey, look, bro, I'm
2: telling y'all, look, y'all mentioned, (laughs) I don't know which one of y'all said the Kentucky game, when we lost them in the bowl game, when uh, the quarterback and all them was running up on us and hit Duke, stole one of our players in the face. I'm telling you right now. Look, I can finish now. Beamer would have he 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 knew what was up. There was stuff that happened. I can speak on now. When when the wrestling team tried us, and he talked to the team, he said, "Look, make sure y'all do it. Just don't do it here." You know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? So look, it's just a culture, bro. Like you can't. I mean,
1: take it out of the facility,
2: but I, do what you need to do. I, I don't like the players when that happened because I knew the players <laughs> were wanted to retaliate it. Retaliate, but I knew it was one of them things where they just couldn't be themselves. It was like, you know, you, you you
0: couldn't be a man, you couldn't defend yourself. It was crazy, you know. All right. So, first of all, this little section, we've rolled, we rolled off on 50 minutes here. I love it. We got a lot more to come. But before we take our break, I'll we'll ask you fellas this question. And we'll come back to each of you. What three games? for the most important to the Hokies this season. Now think on that. Before we get our panel's answers to that tonight, we are going to take a quick pause with a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell
1: you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website
0: dash report. Now back to the episode. All righty. So before we get y'all's answers, me and Brian are going to give ours just so we can have a jumping off point. Mr. Siegler, I'll let you lead, sir. All right,
1: three most important games for the Hokies in 2022. UVA, Boston College, UNC. I say that for a couple reasons. Number one, I feel like looking at our schedule, those are games that we can win we have the potential to win. Um, UVA, obviously rival. You want to take care of business there. I think they've got significantly better at least from a talent standpoint offense than we do Um, but their defense is still garbage I think I think we still got a chance to to get one there Um, you know Boston College has some talent in places but they lost a lot on the offensive line I think they're still vulnerable in, in some areas and UNC still has to show me that they're more than just a good recruiting class so until they do that I'm not sold on them either so I feel like those are three games that we're probably not favored in but but games that are winnable on our schedule and that's going to be the difference between whether we're you know sub 500 or or looking at a potentially eight win season so that's kind of where where i feel like our most important there and it's always important to win your conference games and take care of business against recruiting rivals we've lost a couple recruiting battles lately to bc we obviously recruit directly against uva and unc has been
0: across our border way too damn much so
1: that's my three.
0: All right. I'm going to jump on mine real quick because i got two that I'm in agreement with, and one's for a different reason. UVA's one. Obviously, the momentum we're getting in here recruiting in the wise, you want to keep that. You want to keep them an afterthought to the recruits. I agree with Brian on BC, but for a different reason. That is going to be the first home game under the Brent Pryor. That is going to be an 8 o'clock night game in lane. It's going to be on ACC Network, unfortunately. So you're not going to get you're not going to get all the viewers. Spurtle time,
1: boys. Spurtle,
0: Jesus. But but think about this: you go into that game, the atmosphere is going to be electric. I know some of you guys will be there. Me and Brian have talked about it going potentially and driving back. I don't know about that. We'll see as the time comes. But can you imagine? You have the electric atmosphere and you beat them. Think about the hype. Think about kids on campus that week. My last is going to be the Miami game. Mm. Not, for the, not for the sentimental reasons that we're not going to be playing them every other year, which I think we all are a little bit angry about, especially Mr. Vic up there in, my, in the corner. <laughs> but, but for this, Miami with Cristobal, they are getting tons of hype on the recruiting trail, getting the top 20 ranking. They got to come to Lane. Regardless what happens in that game, if we beat them, wonderful. Our profile's raised. If we compete with them with all their talent, our profile's raised. So that's my three. Grayson, since you were at the back end, we're going to let you go. What are your big three games for the Hokies in 2022?
8: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Curtis. I'll, I'll, I won't say Miami because you said it, first off. Boston College, uh, I mean, first home game of the prior era, 8 o'clock. It's going to be packed to the gills, probably going to be sold out. Uh, you know, hopefully ACC Digital Network can get some high-definition cameras to capture Enter Sandman because they did a terrible job for the 1C game. Yeah. Uh, and that that game out of my three, I think, is the most winnable Definitely, it's probably the most winnable. Number two, two weeks later, West Virginia. I mean, that I think is the most important game on our schedule. Okay, West Virginia Thursday night, hardware game, Black Diamond. The way it ended last year I'm, was an abomination. Oh. Uh, and just, I mean, so many <laughs> head scratch moments in that game. Got to get that trophy back. Blacksburg is going to be insane. Uh, and then I'm going to say NC State. Ooh. NC State, yeah, I'm going to say NC State. Uh, it's been a while since we played down there in Raleigh, um, and they're supposed to be relatively good this season. Um, obviously, you know, if we can beat Miami, great. But I, if we can go down there and beat NC State, beat the Pack, that's going to be a huge deal, especially in Brent Price's first season. All right, I like
1: that. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that, that's definitely a statement game if you can go out and win that one because they are in a lot of ways and you know some some people are having them as the favorite to win the ACC this year um you know that's a lot of that's going to depend on whether Clemson can put you know cobble together more offensive consistency or not this year but um you yeah, know they definitely return a lot especially on that defense so that's going to be interesting to see uh let's kick it over to Mike next what's your 3
7: Yeah, my my three. I mean, I I think you gotta start with the home opener against BC because that sets the tone. I mean, the Old Dominion game sets the tone. It's a road game. You gotta win that game because they're ODU and you can't do what Fuente did in 2017. And that's game. That's literally game one for Pry. But you gotta not only look competitive against what I think will be a pretty decent Boston College team, but if you can win that home opener, it sets the tone for the entire regime. Right? Gets you off to the right start at home. I think that's really important in front of your fans. Uh, the second one for me is NC state coming off of a bye week I think is really significant. So NC state, I think is going to have a really, really good team this year. Devin Leary's coming back. They, they should have one of the top two or three defenses in conference. And you get to see what kind of, what kind of staff this is going to be coming off a of bye and advanced scouting, right? Because you have two weeks to prepare for one of the best teams on your schedule. And it's coming off of the Miami game as well, which I think is the third most important game on the schedule. Um, it's a really important three-week stretch there—the the Miami game, the bye week, and NC State. Because if Virginia Tech is going to lose to Miami, like let's say they lose that game, which you know I think we'll we can all admit Miami will be favored there. If Virginia Tech loses that game and then goes into a bye week, how do you respond to adversity? Right, coming off of one of the bigger games on your schedule, a rivalry type game. How do you respond to adversity? Right, and and going into a bye week and coming out of it playing a really good NC state team that doesn't have the historical, you know, stature in terms of like the, the history behind them, right. That a West Virginia does that a Miami does that a UVA does, but playing one of the better teams of your schedule coming off of bye week, that's a really important game. But I think if you're Brent Pry and you're looking at the three most important games on the schedule, you know, thinking back to when he was a, a graduate assistant way back in the day, it's, it's West Virginia, it's Miami, it's UVA. Like those are the three most important games. So he's going to try to have this team competitive in all three of those. And, I think to have a really successful year one, he's going to have to steal one of those, right? Um, I point to West Virginia. It's at home. It's a Thursday night. West Virginia, they're in this weird state with Neil Brown. We're like, I'm not sure how good they're going to be. I'm not sure if that's even going to work out with Neil Brown. Tech should have beaten them last year, right? Like in Morgantown, if it weren't for, I mean, they were gifted an interception. And then the goal line play calling was Unbelievable let <laughs> it. But like, yeah. you got <laughs> guys who are the guys who are left on the roster, who were there for last year's game. Man, they, they got to try to bounce back and, and get a win there. So that is a game that's circled. That's a game everybody's got circles. One the It's a huge home game. It's one of the early home games on the schedule. You got to try to win that one. All
0: right, I want to hear Danny Noakes' opinion next.
6: Well, I like, I like where we're going with this, gentlemen. I think we're going to be all on a very similar page when it comes to the three biggest games here because, to me, that's it's very simple, and it starts with West Virginia. I, I, I loved what Grayson said about that West Virginia game being the biggest game on the schedule this year. I completely agree with that, and it, it has a lot to do with what happened last year mm-hmm. and the several cracks they had inside the five-yard line with the, go- the game on the line. You have the ball close to punching it in and you can't do it. That has absolutely a lot to do with it, but – With conference realignment on the horizon and us not knowing whether Virginia Tech is going to end up in the Big Ten, the SEC, uh, a reformed ACC, will UVA still be there? Will West Virginia be coming over? Will we be going to a conference that includes West Virginia? It's a it's a dormant rivalry that is just it, it needs to come back and. Virginia Tech is is in a spot here where they definitely need to go and win that football game coming off what happened last year. So I start with West Virginia. I, I, I move over to, to North Carolina after that because I don't think they'll beat Miami, and I don't think they'll beat NC State. I I, I hope that they will, and I hope that, as, as Mike was saying, they come out of the bye week prepared to compete against one of the better teams in the conference and potentially one of the better teams in the country. I, I'm just looking at this more of a – from a position of games that I I think they're better positioned to go and win. And I think that would be North Carolina versus an NC State or Miami. So I'll I'll take the Tar Heels. I think they have another chance to to get a solid win against a longtime ACC Coastal foe there. And then at the end of the season, I think UVA is always going to be there. It's always going to be the most important one of, if not the most important games on your schedule. And, And with them returning Brennan Armstrong, you know they're going to be they're going to be a competitive team this year despite the fact that they're also bringing in a brand new head coach uh with with Tony Elliott. So it's it's pretty simple West Virginia, UNC and and UVA. It's a pretty classic lineup.
1: That's funny Danny. You I, I, that was actually my original I talked myself into putting BC in there instead of West Virginia. So I I got no qualms with that three. Uh Vito, what's your three?
5: My three going to be different than everybody else's cuz I think a little different. Wofford, and listen to me, we about to put 50 of them hoes on Wofford. <laughs> Wofford is the most important game on the season. Fuente's yes. teams. I don't want to make this shit about Fuente the whole time. Fuente said the team wasn't built to blow out Richmond. Teams like Middle Tennessee State. Teams like Maine, no, not Maine, New Rhode Island. Coming up in the burg feeling comfortable, right? I want them to make an example out of Wofford, bro. I want 50 of them holes at least. I want to see the third stringers in. I want to see walk-ons in that game. No cap, bro. I'm tired of seeing Wofford, uh, these FCS schools coming in. lane, feeling comfortable, bro. That I'm going to know everything I need to know Wofford game, for real, for real. Next game, Liberty. What the fuck? Losing the Liberty? No, bro. No. Malik Willis gone. We should have we should have beaten them by 50 with Millie Willis. It's Liberty. That's keep it a buck, man. Liberty came in, came in the bird comfortable, kicked their feet up. Shout out Jay Ham. That was some dumb shit you did, bro. But we shouldn't even have been in that position. Nope. Liberty, game two, most important game of the season. And then game three, NC State, because um I think if NC State got a number beside their name, the boys will wake up and play them. Woo. but they NC state, they ain't known for doing shit for real. Nothing. So let's say NC state don't got None. a number by their name. We might bullshit in that one too and get flicked. So Wofford Liberty, NC state with no ranking beside their name. Most important games of the season.
1: There we go. I like it. I like it. I, I like that. We, you want us to get back to just stomping on some throats beating somebody's ass if, if you if you come in here and, and and you're not you're not you're not with it we need to we need to go ahead and just hang half a hundred on you and put you back on the bus love it
0: love it all right john you got to follow that up man <laughs> but i think yeah. you can do it yeah so i, I was going to change my first one but i'm gonna keep it because what don V said.
4: ODU sets the tone for me. That's the first game of the season. <laughs> that's the first game of the season. If they're not putting fifth, like Don said, they're not putting fifth on ODU. I don't care. We are better than ODU. That's 100%. Thank we should you. never Thank lose ODU. We got embarrassed last time we were there. And we're going to their place. We shouldn't even go to their place. We should never play. Yes. I'm sorry. We are see seen There
1: we go. There we go.
4: So that's number one. Now we get real. I, M- I, like I like this. I like this. <laughs> to me, that's already disrespectful. That we got to come to you house and our stadium bigger. We got bigger fans, but anyway. So I'm going over to you first. That sets the tone, and they're really going to tell you how how this team is. Are we going to play to our potential, or are we going to play down our competition? So that that's a really Love important that. game for me. Um, and then the, the second one is uh, Miami. Miami is right there, kind of where we are trying to get back. And the U this, U this, they bringing all their former players back, all this stuff. So I'm I'm excited about the robbery. I'm ready to have this robbery back. Because after UVA, to me, Miami is second. I feel like that's a lot of former players, too. Because We came in hating Miami because they think they're better than us. They always thought they were better than us. So, um, that's a big one for me. New coaches, you know, trying to get that foundation back. And then, obviously, UVA. we got to be UVA. New coach. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my three.
0: Right on. I love it. I, What I'm hearing, last two guys, is we want to see what we were. If you are the lesser opponent, don't play down, smash them. I love Don B's point. Bring the walk-ons. It's fifty-six nothing. See if the walk-on can get to 60 burger. All right. David Cunningham, you have to follow both of them up. So you have the floor, sir.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be tough. No, my my first thing is old dominion, right off the bat, man. Like, you know, you guys you guys might remember my uh my, my famous unsportsmanlike conduct picture from oh, yeah from the old Dominion game in 2018. That's probably the best <laughs> thing that came out of that game, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> this is a program that last time you were in Norfolk, you got completely embarrassed. Um, Virginia tech going to old Dominion, like Jonathan said, you know, the, the in-state games on the road at, at Liberty, at old Dominion, those are, are games that the fan base doesn't really enjoy. You know you those I think the majority of the fan base would agree you need to play those games at home um but but old Dominion, this is a a uh, an opponent, Ricky Ronnie's the head coach. Brent Pry, you know was a defense coordinator at Penn State when Ricky Ronnie was the offensive coordinator. The staffs are gonna know each other a lot, you know, a lot of Penn State blood in between, but I think just in general, you're not playing at home, you're opening up against a much lesser opponent, but that shouldn't matter. It, it should be, this is a game that establishes the culture for the many years to come in the program. And, and kind of what, what Don and, and John both said, you know, uh, against the Delawares, the Rhode Islands, the Furmans, the, the Richmans, the Liberties, Virginia Tech in the Justin Fuente era never once, except for maybe that Delaware game in 2016, blew any of those guys out. They were always close games. Virginia Tech maybe was up by a touchdown against Rhode Island at halftime in 2019. Mm -hmm. You know, those are games Mm -hmm. where you need to get guys development, especially now that guys can play in four games and also redshirt in the same year. You need to get those guys in the games when you can. Old Dominion, you got to start off strong. My second game is West Virginia. I I think this is, you know, the Boston College game is going to be exciting, but, but West Virginia means more. Um, I'm sure Brent Pry is going to get the guys juiced and ready to go on a Thursday night. It's going to be, uh, what, 20, it's going to be 20 something years to the, to the day, uh, that, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech first played on a Thursday night against West Virginia. If I believe maybe then maybe not 20 years, but it'll be the anniversary of that. Um, you're playing on a Thursday night against West Virginia. That's what Virginia Tech was kind of born on, um, and especially with the way everything ended last year, I think that that's really important. And then I'm going to pick a game for my third, and I think it might be the most important game. Nobody's picked yet, and that's Pitt. Virginia Tech, since, since Pitt joined the ACC uh, in 2012, Virginia Tech is one and four at Pitt. It's no longer Heinz Field, but I think the two best teams on the schedule this year, and, and they are who I picked as the media member at ACC Media Days to win the two divisions, Pitt and nc state Pitt returns the most talent um most i guess returning starters um in the coastal miami might have the most talent in north carolina might but i I, pat narduzzi can develop guys um and nc state i picked nc state to win the conference i just think nc state returns so many guys but but nc state's so late in the season i think it you're not going to know exactly what you're going to have, you know, what if some guys get injured, you know, in that Miami game, that game's so late. I think it's important to set the tone on the road at Pitt, a place that Virginia tech has only won once in recent memory. Um, And Pitt is a, Pitt is a, a team that is going to be good. It's kind of a measuring stick game, so to speak. Pitt um, and NC State as well, that's kind of like the fourth, fourth team on my list. Uh, you know, in those games where you are playing good competition, in this first year where Brent probably hasn't necessarily got all of his guys in, is still kind of establishing the culture, building it layer by layer, you know, you need to know what you have. And Old Dominion game is going to be really good for the culture. You'll know the West Virginia game, you know, with, with all the crazy people coming to town, um, and, and then that pit game on the road, it's never an easy place to win. I, I think for, the fan base will know a lot about this team, you know, after that Pittsburgh game. When you got Miami, and then you got an open week, and then you got to go down to Raleigh.
0: All right. First of all, the White's upset that I'm we not. made him go last because we took <laughs> off. But here's the thing, Dwight. We know oh. you're going to
2: bring it right No, here. no, 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 no. I'm not even going to say I was just <laughs> tripping on Don V and Jonathan taking my – I would had the same kind of responses. Nah, but look, at the end of the day, man, like there's no right or wrong answers. or our opinion. But I, I agree with that, what everybody said. You can't really go wrong with anything. i just say this. Like real quick, I played against the Miami Goats. So I played against – I was just watching. I got home from work early. I, they ran both Miami 30 for 30s today if you were home. They had the one, and then they showed the other one. And I was part of that rivalry with Miami. I was part of the team that beat them for the first time. All those household names, I went against them. So I'm not part of this hype train. I'm not going to make this Miami game more than what it is as far as, oh, Christopher. They've always had better so-called talent. But that's because we don't get the same respect until we smack them in the face. So I, I we, we beat Ray Lewis. I beat Ed Reed. I beat everybody they can talk about. So I'm not about to sit here on this show in Sykes, Miami, because of some dude named Steve with glasses that runs 247 is telling me Miami's got a great class. (laughs) Y'all miss me with that. I've been been in five years of battles with them. I'm not going to – are they going to be good? Yeah, but, I mean, whatever, bro. So they're not on my list. I'm going to tell you like this. I'm going to tell you like ODU, Liberty, and Walford. that's just – I'm lumping them together. Like Don V and Jonathan said, I don't know how many times during the Fuente area we were great in scoring points in that first half when it was scripted or we had everything going our way. When it was time to make adjustments or when adversity entered the stadium, we crumbled. After that Greg Stroman Edmonds brother era and the, and the era with Bucky and Isaiah Ford and Cam and all of those guys when those guys left, we lost a lot of dogs. We lost smoke Reynolds. We lost the alexander Alexanders. We lost the Trayvon Hills. We didn't have any dogs consistently. That when the game got tough, we crumbled. As Don V and Jonathan said, too many teams like Liberty was real comfortable in Blacksburg. You know what I'm saying? How many times whether you were in the stadium, you were at home, and you went to the you know, you you, if if, during the old days, you went to the bathroom, you already up 21, a block punt and a pick six. We were struggling with Richmond last year. Richmond. I I need to see us going to ODU. I was my oldest daughter's going to ODU. She's moving in in two weeks. She chose ODU, and I was down there for orientation. They feeling real good about mm-hmm. beating us. I can tell you right now, I'm 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 from the seven five seven, and ODU is feeling real good about that game. So they're on my list. I combine them, Wildfoot, and Liberty. Um, the other game I got is the tie between UNC and UVA. Again, I got to be creative because I'm going last, and that's only because we recruit the same players. And there's this misconception that UNC, since um. Mac Brown's gotten there. They've been killing us, and they haven't. He's only beaten us one time, you know what I'm saying? And even in that time, we had we started um, Brummeister, and we waited to put in Hendon Hooker, and he finally came in, and we came back, and it was a ball game, but we waited too late. Other than that, that UNC works. has not shown anything despite all these recruits because I'm, I'm not one of those guys that's going to tell you they're killing it like that because if you, be, if you were being honest on the Boundary Corner podcast, A lot of these high profile recruits they've gotten have not panned out, and it's been three years. So don't talk about they're killing it. It's been three years, okay? So UNC and West Virginia, to me, or UNC and UVA, those are culture games where UVA is in the same boat we are. They feeling real good. They feel like Elliott's going to take the state. We're out recruiting them now. They got they got they got some guys on staff some former players. So I think if you continue to streak against them or continue continue that mindset and beating them, that's gonna be real helpful in like keeping that mystique, that 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 stranglehold we have over them mentally. And then of um the other game, you can throw any game. I'm not really gonna hype up NC State like that. I think like Don V said, NC State, even that year, my cousin went down there when they were NC State was favored. The only time they really dog us like that was our first year in ACC after that tough, tough loss to um, USC. USC. And then we came home and they had a defensive line. They all went to NFL and they, they sacked Brian Randall like eight times. That was a great uh, NC state team. Other than that, typically Virginia tech, even during the Fuente era and even when Beamer was there, we play teams like Louisville and NC state. We tend to kind of rise up to them. It's the inferior opponents we struggle against. So I mean, that's my list, man. I mean, I don't think anybody – I think all the lists were great. But to me, you could probably hear the passion in my voice, man. I'm just tired of our brand taking a hit. I'm tired – like, I grew up in an era where Miami always got more hype than us. But that reason why I didn't like that, I didn't want that game to change because that was always a good measuring stick for us. Just like West Virginia, when I played them every year, was a good measuring stick because those are culture games. Because Miami, again, um, I think – Somebody posted on Twitter today, uh, when they were really, really good, they had Ja'Corey Harris. They were supposed to be back. They were ranked 9 in the nation. We were ranked number 11. 2009. Smoked them 31 to 7. Yep. They pulled a UNC and said it was raining too hard. Okay? Ryan Williams and Tyrod Taylor went crazy. Anyone that knows the game knows Tyrod was better than Ja'Corey Harris. But who was getting all the hype? Ja'Corey Harris. That's just because Miami will always get the hype. So... Don't let these guys named Steve Fool you on these sites, man.
8: <laughs> you couldn't tell college game day a damn thing that week. I will never ever forget it. They were saying Jacory Heisman, he was going to come in there, blow the doors off of us, and all of a sudden the elements, it was it was like a monsoon. It was it like was a monsoon. Yeah, it's yeah. like a monster. Monsoon, block punt, Matt Reedy for a touchdown. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's I mean, what I'm terror, saying. Terror tear in the pouring down rain. That's what I'm saying, awesome. bro.
2: Like, you get the right guys in Blacksburg, like they're getting the guys from Highland Springs and the right guys in. You get the guys to understand, um, you know, culture. When I say goonery, I ain't talking about getting DUIs and getting arrested. I'm talking about when you're on the field, you know they're going to bring it. You know they're going to have a sense of urgency on every play where you take pride. And maybe that includes a personal foul or maybe that includes some intimidation. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's when I watched this, it was very took your shirt in, crisp, shake hand, pull up, help a guy up. That's just not my type of football. I want to get back to tech football when we were, you know, people hated us. People forget real quick, and I'm going to shut up. People forget that in 4 <laughs> they did not want us in the ACC because we were nope. too physical. <laughs> they said our brand of football was too grimy. You know what I'm saying? So. I can't wait to the ODU game because they talking. I'm telling you right now, guys, and everybody watching and listening, they're talking real greasy down there. They feel like it's going to be sweet. I'm just telling y'all, that's my game. I, they, they,
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm hearing the same thing every time I'm down there. I, I'm, I'm hearing that ODU OD, going to put up the, a, a real good fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to go, go out and set the tone and, and make sure that that thing is settled by halftime. Listen, listen,
2: if we lose that game, bro, all this stuff we're doing, all these great shows, all this buildup, what changes? If anything, true. we're in a deeper hole. You can't, yes, lose, that you can't nope. lose that game. You can't lose that game.
1: That's a that's a recruiting bed that we are trying to reestablish good relationship with. It's at their place. It's sitting there in the 757. It's a team that on paper, we, we should squash. If you don't go and do it, that's a problem.
0: 100%. Exactly. 100%. All right, Brian, we got a bunch of questions here, believe it or not. So I'll let you start picking them out. I'm going to pick one here because we got this texted to us because our buddy Robbie Compton, he's a coach down at North Wilkesboro. He wanted to ask basically the offensive lineman. We'll start with John here. How much did life change going from playing high school offensive line to power five offensive line as far as the time to prepare, your commitment and level of opponent? I'll let John you lead the white if you want to chip anything in because you did the same thing thirty years ago.
4: Oh man, it, it was it was night and day, man. When I, when I got to college, the, the speed of the game you had you had to you had to you had to think and be fast at the same time. So it, it was a difference. In high school, you can you know pretty much pancake anybody you want or take plays off or whatever. You know you you can kind of you can kind of play around because you're bigger than everybody. College, no, you're, everybody is your size, and the game was a lot faster. But, I mean, as, as you get going, you get smarter in the game. And, um, you know, that helps watching film. And obviously getting in Coach Jensen's program helped me a lot. So, I would say I would say it's like night and day, man. Going from high school to the college is a big, a big jump.
0: White, anything to add on top of that? Yeah, I'll be quick,
2: man, you know, because I just finished talking a lot. But I'll just say he's a, he's 100% right, bro. Like, at the end of the day, I always say when it comes to recruiting rankings and looking at offensive alignment in high school – I think that's the toughest position to evaluate because, you know, I think – and I played during the Golden Era, the Peninsula District, so I went against some dogs at Phoebus and, and Bethel and, and, and Warwick and, and, and Minchville. But at the same time, there was nights, man, in scrimmages or regular season games, I was going against a guy that looked like a toddler. Um, you know, he just came to my waist, and I would just look at him and look in the stands while I was blocking him. But then you get the tech, and you're going against Cornell Brown, John Eagleberger, Corey Moore, Carl Bradley, David Pugh. And Nate, Nate Williams, and you're going against some men, and um, it's it's just one of those things you got to be physically tough, agile, and also be able to think because the offensive line position you have to be aggressive and you have to know how to block one play eight different ways depending on what front you're going to see, and that's tough. And you got to be able to do it because you know you won't know who I am until I miss a block, you know. So it's it's an adjustment.
4: <laughs> yeah. And to add with to what Dwight said, our our defensive line was almost better than everybody in ACC. So
3: I looked yes. at it as if
4: I can get better with them. You know, like you said, blocking Court more. I had James Gale every day. I had J R. Collins, Daddy Nichols the second string. Like, you know, they, they made me better as well. So going from high school and then having to block them every day, man, that, that was that was definitely a challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, y'all talk about you know high school guys being small. I mean, I played D three. I'm six foot in cleats. Uh, played at about 2:45 in high school, where there was some some small ass guys I was going against. So compared to to you two gentlemen, I know that's that you know that that jump from going against you know occasionally players like that to you know everybody is is running around with uh, with your size, you know your your agility for that size. But I think that's the big thing that you know people sometimes discount is like. You know, you you know, people are six four, six five out there, three twenty pounds, and can fucking move. And <laughs> and, and I, I think that you know, some people don't really really think about that sometimes. So that, that that's good to kind of kind of put that out there for the listeners. Um, the next one we got here, this is kind of to everybody. So you know, let me know who you want to who wants to jump in on this one first. Um, this is from at uh, hunker down hokey on Twitter. Uh, With all of our exceptional skill players, all all of our experienced skill players um, being more role players than home run hitters, who is this offense, who in this offense is going to emerge as the big play threat in 2022? And uh, I'll I'll actually kick it over to, uh, to Mike first. I'll let Mike lead on this one if you got something, Mike.
7: Yeah. Malachi Thomas. I mean, we saw glimpses of it last year, but I think it's going to have to be either Malachi or maybe Keyshawn King, like David mentioned earlier, like someone who has shown the potential and has produced at times throughout their career In Keyshawn's in Keyshawn King's case, or, you know, at times last year in Malachi Thomas's case and, you know, all indications are Malachi Thomas put some weight on too. So I think that's huge. Um, that's a concern over the course of a full season. Um, you know, last year he was playing, he was so lean when he was playing last year. That was a concern. If he was going to, you know, kind of project this forward over a full season, you know, what was that going to look like health wise for him? Um, but I think it's going to have to be somebody in the running back room. Um, potentially day one loft tube, though, if you look at like the receiving core, like we haven't really seen enough of him yet to really make an indication one way or another if he's going to be kind of like a-, a home run hitting type guy, but he's got some serious speed. So if you get the ball in his hands, I think that. That, that would be something I think that would benefit Tech as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the question's fair. Like a lot of the the experienced guys returning are kind of more role guys, or at least that's been their role so far. It's just been possession-type receivers in like Caleb Smith's case, right, or you know, a, a guy who's been like a goal-line type back or has been in and out of the running back rotation like Jalen Holson. So who's that guy going to be? And I think it's either going to be Malachi Thomas or Keyshawn King.
1: Yeah, we saw Balakai kind of jump out with two big games last year, and then we didn't see a whole lot of him down the stretch there. So it's going to be good to see if he can kind of settle into a a consistent role for us this year. And because um, we really, I mean, thinking back, yeah, you know, Herbert twenty twenty year aside, we it's been a long time since we've had a consistent lead back. So it'd be nice to have a guy that we could see that from maybe in back to back years finally uh, have have a true lead back again. So it's you know, we'll David man. about that.
0: Yeah, it's not since David Wilson, as we had guys hey, like don't that don't that forget room. Khalil Herbert now. I know, but but I mean, I'm saying David.
3: Yeah, Will, I was thinking I back to I back,
0: back I, to back years.
1: Back to I, back I, years. We had, had the one off. Nobody
3: got to. Nobody even got to watch his games because it was during COVID. So I don't Suck. know if that really counts Suck. anyway.
0: <laughs> Suck for that guy. I think it's. I mean, the receiver room is where we you you always want to find someone. Is it is it anybody sneaky out there? You know, we're hearing things about Tucker Holloway being fast, getting upfield. He's a true freshman. I, I can't see that. I mean, is it someone in the return game? I know Colbeck return. Colbeck's fast. But you're not gonna put Colbeck out there and play wide out. But can you can you can he can he do a kickoff return? And and I hope David in a few weeks they let you guys into those sessions because the guy runs a 10 1
8: 3 meters. Oh, he, he's gonna lie. return
3: kicks. He's gonna return kicks. Brent priority already said that. I mean, okay, that
8: was so, that was so, his game in, in, I watched him play in high school In Blacksburg, Blacksburg, High school. High school. Yeah. That kid was a freak on kickoff returns. He'll be out there.
3: Yeah, okay. so to answer the Colbeck question, I I mean, he's gonna be a guy that they're gonna get the ball to in space, right? You know, his hands they've they've talked, you know, Brent Pride mentioned last week his hands of his hands are fine, you know, but he also hasn't really touched a football, played competitive football in four or five years now. You know, it's been a while. He he's not gonna catch a slant route across the middle in traffic. He's gonna be a guy you throw to the flat, and you you let him juke a couple guys. Yeah, put um, him as in as week far, three, as, yo.
2: Yeah, put him in week three. We only know experiments week one, man. Week
3: three. <laughs> <laughs> Wofford right is <laughs> experimental day. <laughs> all that yeah. you
2: saying, David. That's David. What you saying? That's what I need. Week three. Don't put him out yeah. there third <laughs> and five, and we uh, driving, and he's it and go in the air. We don't need those experiences. Yeah.
3: You're, you're telling me you, you don't want him to run a jet sweep to open the season? Nah, no, bro. No. 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 To the boundaries. No. no. <laughs> let, me answer, let me answer Brian and Curtis's question real quick. I, I think, to Mike's point, I think Malachi Thomas is, is the guy. Um, few people remember he had a three-touchdown game against Syracuse last year as a true freshman. Like, he came out of nowhere, had a three-touchdown game, um, I did research after that game. As far as the record go, goes, back to, to 1987, which is when Frank Beamer first started, he's a first true freshman, true freshman ever, to record three touchdowns in a game. And then he, you know, he disappeared down the stretch. and got, you know, didn't have more than seven rushing attempts in the final four games of the season. Wow. He, he had inconsistent touches. How Virginia Tech uses him, and this will be a question. I'm sure somebody will ask Stu Holt you know, tomorrow at, at media day, um, how Virginia Tech uses the running backs. Virginia Tech needs to have balance on the offense. It can't be just running the ball or just passing the ball. In the receiving game, I think Caleb Smith, we saw what he could do during the spring game, and I think I think there was such a disconnect after Holman Wiggins left uh, in that wide receiver room. Um, you know, Caleb Smith, again, was, was told to go – he was suggested to go play at FCS level or D- D2, and we saw him torching you know, Virginia Tech's DBs left and right in the spring game. He had two 50-plus-yard touchdowns with Grant Wells. We know the arm Grant Wells has. I, I think it's going to be either Malachi Thomas or-, or Caleb Smith in the passing game. You know, One of those guys is kind of going to have to come up and-, and make some big plays, but it's going to have to be a balance, and it cannot just be – the two of them contributing because if it is just the two of them contributing, you're going to see an offense is going to stall a lot. And, you know, we all know what happens when uh, when you only have two or three contributors making it easy for the defense to to man up on them.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. And I think that, you know, when, when you look at Caleb Smith, I think his leadership is obviously going to be probably the key att- attribute he brings to the table this year, but um, having that, veteran presence in that room, I think is gonna be a, a benefit for everybody across the board as well. But I'm gonna to go to another question here. This one's also kind of to everybody. Um this is from uh at John underscore Earl IV on Twitter. Stone Earl, <laughs> <It's John> Earl! <laughs> How important will it be to have the same starting quarterback for all twelve games mm. in the twenty twenty two season? And I'm gonna kick it to uh, let's see who. Do I, let, let, let's let's get Don V. Let's Don V, you lead off on this one if you want to.
5: Uh, you said the f- same quarterback for all 12
0: games, yep.
5: yep. It don't mean shit if he has. I mean, is he good? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, he, he's he's above mid. All
5: right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him what at the spring game, he looked all right, but yeah, he played. I mean, really, he threw some hospital balls in the spring game, bro. He could have – he going to get somebody killed in the real game, bro. I mean, we're going to talk for real. We're going to talk for real. Yeah. Some of them balls he threw in that spring game get somebody killed in the real game, bro. Like, let's keep it a band.
8: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Wells definitely, I think, impressed me the most in the spring game. Those two touchdown passes to Caleb, Caleb Smith. We can do that every game. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, I don't care. I mean, you see what happened with, and this isn't a knock on anyone, but you saw what happened with Brian Willis a few years back and Hendon Hooker comes in and takes over and, you know, then Hendon's the guy. It's like, I want who's best. I want who's playing the best. At at this point, it doesn't matter who, whoever's the best man for the job. That's why I went out
3: there always.
1: Danny, you got anything on this one?
3: I mean, I will just Man. say this. Uh, oh, oh, Danny. Sorry, I thought you said David. No, go ahead, oh, Danny.
6: Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no worries, guys. Hey, I, it starts and ends with Grant Wells this year. I mean, it's going to start and end with the, the quarterback position, as it always will. Um, there's not really anything – you don't need to think too hard about that. I, I've heard Malachi Thomas brought up, too. We didn't really get to see him at all in the spring game, obviously. But um, once they, they solidify the the quarterback position, we get the announcement, we get that offensive line in place. Uh, they just need to start cranking it out. That's all that it comes down to for me.
0: I, I, I want to see somebody play 12 games because I think if we have somebody play 12 games, Wells, Brown, whoever, it means we didn't get the offensive line injured. Because I think if you, if you tell me we have quarterback, you know, Grant Wells played eight games, Jason Brown played four, somebody on the offensive line got hurt and they got the shit knocked out of them once or twice and they were out multiple weeks. So – I'd love to see one guy, but to Don's point, if he's ass, it doesn't matter. If he's ass, you got to pull him. Now he goes out there and plays solid, solid. I'm not. I don't expect. I don't expect spectacular. But if you play solid, lean on the Brent Pry defense, I'd be fine with the guy going 12 games.
2: You can you can win games yeah. with a game manager. It's true.
0: Yep. You can win. I mean, the thing
2: about it, Fuente, Fuentes' offense. Fuentes' offense. I used to like it. When he had manageable quarterbacks because it, it's a quarterback friendly offense until he forces them to run too much and that's what he did with runmeister and even gerard and other quarterbacks it was it was too many quarterback powers and too many runs when you have running backs that can do the same thing and i think you know i know tyler Bourne. i knew tyler Bourne before he came to uh, virginia tech um and i've talked to him um he'll it it he, they know what they're doing. I mean, as far as, you know, to Don V's point about him being asked, I think that's anything. I think if a competition with prize got now, if he doesn't get it done, they're going to look elsewhere. But I think right now it's more so about putting, putting the responsibility on everybody versus on one person. I, You know, I think a lot of times there was too much put on Brummeister. And um, even though it was a quarterback-friendly offense, meaning when I say that I'm talking about the reads and everything they were forced to make, they didn't really have that many reads. But at the same time, you can't run your quarterbacks that much. Um, it just it just doesn't it doesn't prove to be successful.
1: Well, let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit more real quick because one of the biggest criticisms I had last year is that you've got the read option in your 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 toolbook, right? But so often they were essentially design handoffs. But then when you so when you you're not decoying anything, your quarterback's no longer a decoy. So when he's running, he's running, and when he's not, he's not. You're not. There's an element of the offense that's supposed to be the option and and making the defense confused as to who's going to have the ball. But you're taking that away with the predictability of the calls. So I mean that that was my beef with with the way the things were called last year, and and that hurt Burmeister when he's running the ball because. The defense is keying in on that. They're, they're looking at it. and saying, "Okay, well, they're going to run power when they when they go in this motion, or when they're in this formation and go in this motion." I mean, they were they were telegraphing that all the time. We saw it coming, and and the defenses that we played saw it coming too. And and Burmeister, you know, the the, the whole joke was the the Perkmeister thing when he was popping pills on the sideline trying to get back in the game. I mean, we we got our quarterback <laughs> that's getting beat the hell up, and we're not doing anything to make make his game come to him better and, and get him comfortable back there. And and I, I, that was a consistent problem throughout.
2: Well, that scheme, that's, that's what I mean about scheme. Like a lot of times and those, after, after Gerard Evans and those guys left, um, and then the following you had Josh Jackson, they still finished the season ranked, they won nine games. Um, but after that talent left, those two years left, they were forced to coach those last three seasons, right? Yep. And what you saw was a lack of scheme and lack of creativity. So for example, <clears throat> after bye weeks or off weeks or even in the second half you never saw any place new plays you never saw any new situations where they would the wrinkles put, any wrinkles you wouldn't see anything where they would take somebody and put them in the slot where he was out at the x like they didn't they didn't mix things up um it wasn't really until that last year where they did a fake field gold and fake they they, they got crit because they, they knew they were going to be gone but um to your point b you know a lot of that is more so just Scheming and coaching, you know, and having wrinkles and knowing how to use your personnel. Um, you don't have to look. Football is not a complex sport when it comes to coaching. You got to just take your personnel mm-hmm. personnel and adjust to it. A lot of times, you know, with the offense plays we had, they were predictable. I mean, the Jet Suite wasn't the problem, it was the timing of when they called it.
1: Yep. A, a lot of teams run the
0: Jet Suite, it was the timing of it situational play calling yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the timing the location on the field going into the boundary when you didn't need to
7: I, mm-hmm. some
0: of the most frustrating parts of the last few years especially like you run that jet sweep into the boundary and it's like second and four brian you got to talk to me off a ledge he's like you know you do that play and it works you're going to get the first down if it gets blown up it's third and 11 it's third and 12 it's well, it's 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 it doesn't make sense to call that play to that side of the field in that situation. And that's the one thing over the past three, four seasons that got frustrating. It was situationally it got worse and worse and worse. And you know, somebody, you know, it was on here like when when was the moment that you felt Fuente wasn't the guy? And it was liberty. I lost my shit. Go back and listen to that episode on 2020. I literally lost my shit that day on this podcast. And that's when, that's when I was done it, because, you know, you looked on the side. There was no juice with the players. That's one of those games where John, Dwight, Don, y'all have made a point. We've all been discussing it. Go out there and squash them. Go out there and make them that our bus ride to Lynchburg, the most miserable bus ride of their life with ODU in the first game of the season. Make that walk back to their locker room the most miserable 100-foot walk of their life.
1: You need to make sure that they don't want to come back out after halftime.
0: Damn right. If, if, if teams like that
1: roll into your place, you need to make sure that they don't want to come out after halftime. Again, I mean, if, that that
2: situation football, that kid, I think he transferred to some D1 AA school, but um, we were playing Richmond last year. I think we had a turnover. We stopped him. And then they put him in the backup quarterback, and he threw a oh, yes. That's what I mean about like that. That's not you. You you can you don't need to be, uh, offensive coordinator to know that we're not up enough to put a back backup quarterback in, and we're only we're at our own twenty, you know. It was a close game. He threw a pick. That's yeah. what I mean about like you. You can look at the Wake Forest game when we lost at Wake Forest. We got, um, what's his name, Khalil Herbert, and he's not touching the ball. You know yeah. who you know who was running the ball that night, Hendon mm-hmm. Hooker, and he wasn't a hundred percent. No, just, that's why I said some of this stuff, most of this stuff is steam, guys. It's, scheme. it's just when scheme.
3: I I think you guys, I think an interesting point here. I'm gonna make this real quick. This is the first time in a while where Virginia Tech's offensive coordinator hasn't been the quarterback's coach. You've got Brad Glenn, he's only the quarterback's coach. And when we, we got a chance to talk to him back in March, kind of when he was first hired, he and all the other assistants, and he said he's really excited just to only work with the quarterbacks. You know, he's been offensive coordinator before. He knows how it is. But he can sit there and develop Grant Wells, who I should remind you guys, if, if you've forgotten, he's got another year after this, and then he's got a COVID year if he wants it. So he's got potentially three years playing for Virginia Tech. He might not be at his best this year, maybe, but he's got plenty of time to develop with a, a, with a quarterbacks coach who is solely focused on him now how the communication works with, with Brad Glenn and Tyler Bones is going to be interesting. I'm sure that's something that'll be that'll come up throughout the season and you know throughout the future, but um but the development of of the quarterbacks um with a with a quarterback only uh, assistant, I think that's going to be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree with you and I think that dynamic is going to be interesting to see how that works out. Um you know, you talked about having um glenn there you also have obviously rudolph has had some offensive coordinator experience as well so you know you've got you know three guys that have at least called one you you, one game in their career at this point um you know so it's going to be interesting to see how they how that dynamic works but i think there's a lot of potential there um as we kind of head into the season but i'm gonna i'm gonna jump over to this next one and this one is a little bit of a different angle here Um, and this is to everybody. So whoever wants to chime in, go for it. Uh, but this is from Mac Parker on YouTube, uh, is the hype around the new coaches masking an obvious below 500 team. Ooh. So we, we getting spicy here, guys.
7: I'll go first. I'll go first here. I don't know if it's an obvious below 500 team. Like I, I talked about this off the top. Like, The team that Fuente inherited in 2016 from Beamer is a lot better than the team Pry is inheriting in 2022 from Fuente. With that being said, like, this team still won six regular season games last year, right? Like, and I think they're upgrading a quarterback I don't know if it's an obvious below 500 team. And that's before you even talk about the schedule itself, which there are a lot of teams that lost a lot or have questions, right? Like yeah. UVA has gotten entirely new coaching staff. UNC has been all bark, but no bite. Right. With Mack Brown, like Pittsburgh. I think I agree with David, like Pittsburgh's really talented. I think, you know, they're my pick to win the coastal, but you know, you can even, like, squint a little bit. And they got some questions, too, right? Keaton Slovis, a quarterback, coming the over court- from USC. Like, what does that look like? They lose Kenny Pickett. They lose Jordan Addison. And, yeah. So there's some questions there, even though they have a lot of talent. Like, every team's got questions. Miami's got an entirely new coaching staff. NC State under Dave Doran. Like, anytime NC State's got expectations, they they tend to lose.
0: They, so
7: yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where not great right yeah. so and and like odu is winnable Liberty's winnable like there are a lot of winnable games on this schedule i just i push back a little bit saying this is an obvious below 500 team now is the pry is the excitement over pry and the coaching staff for year one you know making people's expectations maybe the fan expectations a little bit higher than probably what they should be yeah but I think it's like that with almost any new coaching regime. That's what happens. There's a bump. Everybody's more excited about the future than they were about the, you know, the, the past. So, you know, I think that's part of it. I think that's natural. Anytime there's a coaching change or you're moving on from something that didn't work out. But at the same time, like, I don't think this is an obvious below 500 team. I just don't. I don't see it.
0: I'm going to say this real quick and everybody kind of gather and think about last year. This team was on the doorstep of beating West Virginia and Morgantown in September, on the door, this close. This team was one drive away from beating a 11-win Notre Dame team in Lane Stadium. Mm. That, won't, that won't a joke team last year. They had them, and they let it slip. Syracuse game, literally a bomb in the last 40 seconds. Lose that game. Dwight, I'm going to throw it back in. I've been talking with Brian about this last week, all week. You were there, and you were watching. Go ninety-two to ninety-three. How many close <laughs> games that team was in? In the next season, they win eight regular season games and nine at the bowl. Well, yeah, this no, team I has I, talent.
2: I wasn't, I wasn't there, but I was coming in. But, but I know you were Grayson, But yeah, Grayson. I was being recruited by him. I was watching Grayson. I know he wants to talk to. Um, I'll yeah, just yeah. say this: I, I pulled up. I pulled up the record. It's funny you you did that. Curtis, because that's what I was getting ready to say to the guy watching on the YouTube broadcast. Is that even when Jonathan was there, you go back, you know, to 2013, 14, and 15, seven and six, seven and six, eight and five, and 2012, seven and six. Right at the end of the day, even if you throw in the 2004 season when they won the ACC their first year in the ACC, there were several games that could have went either way. So in some of those seven and six and eight and five seasons, Beamer's last four or five years, there were several games where it was a call, a missed field goal, a fumble snap. Um, even the year when they had Joshua Jackson and they were playing Oklahoma State, to go up 14 and nothing. They fumbled the ball at the goal line. If yep. they score, they go and win that game and they win 10 games in Fuente's second year. Yeah. My point is not to become clicheist, but there's a fine line. This is, I'm just gonna say this. You mentioned Curtis, the 92, 90, 91, 92 era. <laughs> That's rock bottom, bro. Virginia Tech fans have not seen rock bottom. We're just spoiled and we have high expectations. My second point, I'm gonna let my man Grayson rock the mic. At the end of the day, um, this is not hype around pride. Ain't nobody hyping up tech. We won't, we ain't getting no votes. UVA yeah. was picked to finish ahead of us in the coastal. First time I've ever seen that, bro. And then on top of it, we got no votes. So, at the end of the day, man, like, ain't no hype. What you have around Virginia Tech fans is excitement because you can just see that things are going and trending in the right way when it comes to in-state recruiting, getting the right Virginia Tech guys, having a personality, having a coach that lets his assistants interview where we can know more than just the head coach. There's a connection with the fans. Again, that's just – People being excited about someone caring about their program, mm-hmm. the alumni connecting—you know, not just the football players, but I mean, Mike Young and Pry. You know, they're tight. You know, they—you know—not tight, but they—they they got respect for each other. So, it's just the energy, man. It's not about like nobody's talking about Virginia Tech, right? Which is a great thing. But mm-hmm. go ahead, go ahead, Grace, and I know you got to talk.
8: Well, no, what you, exactly what you just said, Dwight? It's—it's it's not about masking any type of win situation or whatever. It's people are excited, like. I don't know if you guys remember this or not. The video of, of Brent Pry core cadets for civilian snowball fight. And he's out on the drill field participating in that last regime. Never did that. <laughs> never, never didn't even pretend to want to do that. And people, people could say, Oh, Brent Pry is putting on a front. No, he's not. That's him. He wants to be out there. He wants to be having a good time he's saying and doing all the right things. And like, at first I'm like, is he just doing this just to do it? And I, I just saw the, you know, Mark Packer came in and they did the ACC kind of round table with Virginia tech. And you can tell that Brent Pry wants Virginia tech to be great. You can tell that he wants us to be a national powerhouse again, wants us to get back to a winning culture. And so it's, it's not like, it's not about 500 or less. It's about, Virginia Tech fans being excited to have a head coach who wants to be in the building, wants to be in Blacksburg, cares about the fans, cares about the players, cares about all of it. That's it. That's all I got.
1: (laughs) Awesome, Jerry. Hey, uh, I think John's got something he wants to kind of piggyback on that with. Go ahead, John.
4: You guys here? You guys here? Yes, sir. Cool. Yeah, real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys watch AC media, but that clip of him shouting out a recruit. He's saying, we, we, we got a big one. Yeah, so whatever happens this year is going to happen. We, we, I think we all expected him to get in there and build his thing. But stuff like that is going to make – I'm not even playing no more. But if I was recruited, that would make me want to go play for the guy, period. Yeah. That would make me excited. So, I like Dwight said, we just, we, everyone's so excited because we haven't seen the last five, five or so years, we haven't seen that. You know, so it, it, it's becoming more familiar with what Hokie Nation is all about. That's, that's all I got.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're seeing. You know, we we we've seen what we what we didn't have, and I think now that we're seeing what we what we have, I think we're excited about that and for what that means down the road. I think we understand the limitations that are potential for twenty twenty two, just based on roster construction and depth overall. Um, but that's not to say that it's an obvious below five hundred team either. I think there is talent on the roster. Uh, I just don't think we have, as Pro said. I don't think we have enough of it right now, right? So I think that's kind of the the fact, of the situation. Hey, Brian. Hey,
2: Brian. That that what you just last point you just said that OGS and people that coach or pay attention in the media know why he said that. That's a motivating tool. See, people didn't hear that. People heard they don't have enough talent. He is challenging the guys in the two and three deep when he says, "I just don't think we have enough of it." The guys yeah. playing behind the starters hear that. And they take it personal. The the regular fan heard that and was like, "Oh my God, we're not going to make it." He knows who's listening to that because those players hear that and read that quote too. He's telling He's that's an indirect challenge. Yep. Trust me, man. I know the game. Yeah, man. All
1: right, we got we got a couple more here from the fans, and then we're gonna get a, a little bit of a wrap up here to kind of call it a night. But um, the next one uh, that we'll go to is from at Steve Bryce twenty twenty on Twitter. Um, and this is kind of a throwback to, to 2021 or even before for a lot of you guys, um, what was the game or moment in the last few years that let you know that Coach Fuente was not the guy for Blacksburg?
0: I'm sending this one out. I already said Liberty. It's y'all's four. Liberty. <laughs> Mike Liberty.
7: Liberty. Hey, real quick, real, real quick, I'm sorry. Like, I say Liberty a lot. Like, some people are going to be like, oh, yeah, ODU and – you know, and,
8: and Don it, V would it. say ODU. The Don reason v why that. I don't
7: say ODU is because I know some weird stuff was happening in that game. But like, when you, whenever you lose your quarterback, the weird field. stuff happens. I know the defense wasn't getting stopped. Everybody was flaming blood, Bud Foster after that, which you know, rightfully so. That was poor performance. But like, any time you lose a quarterback in the middle of a game like that, and your backups not ready to go, like stuff goes a little sideways. So
8: nail. Nail in the coffin moment for me. There were a few games before, but the nail in the coffin was Notre Dame last year. Mm. After a, after that game, I was like, "It's over, <laughs> see ya." Hey yo, good riddance. I agree. With,
2: I agree with my homie Mike, man. My, um, it was Liberty, but I will say this, man. ODU, ODU, ODU had me on tilt, but the one that did it, but it kind of got masked because Hen didn't save the season. Was the Duke loss? Oh, yeah. Because I, was, I, I stepped out. I, I don't miss Tech games. I, I, last year was the first time I was back in Blacksburg for the spring game because I had made like 16, 17 consecutive spring games. So you guys know how much I love Tech. I was talking to Pearson Prelo before he came back to coach. We talked about how like when Tech lost on Saturdays or whatever day, we were done for the rest of the night, right? That Duke debacle, I went to the Wu-Tang Snoop concert. I was like, okay, this will be a safe, <laughs> this will be a safe night. And I had the phone. I was watching the game on my phone with my wife. And I'm like, why are we rotating all these quarterbacks? What are we doing? Next thing you know, it was 45 to 10. And that Duke team was horrible. And they kept showing Fuente on the sideline chewing gum. And he had his headset on. and He just never changed his faces. And I was like, yo, he ain't it, man. I started to go back and circle around to guys like Don V and other people who were adamant that he wasn't it. And, and the, the thing about this, and Jonathan knows this, When you are a former player, whether it's your high school, especially your college, like Tech, I don't care if it's Oscar the Grouse as the head coach. We want to see the program win. I wasn't anti-Fuente. I just wanted us to see us win. This is my program, bro. And, like, that Duke debacle was bad. But Liberty, I I just – I I was ready to – man, I was ready to drive up there, bro, real talk, full disclosure.
8: What made Duke bad? What made that Duke game bad is they were honoring the 1999 team that night. That made oh, it even worse. Grayson, Not, Grayson yeah.
2: thank you. Oh, no. I, yeah, I know where you're going.
8: I know where you're going.
2: Because my cousin was there. And I <laughs> asked him, and he was like, first of all, it won't even have many people from the 919 there because of him and the lack of disconnection. Con- and then when I read, he didn't know it and he didn't talk to them. I said, bruh, shut the hell. It's over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. What about you, Danny? So oh, we man. lost Danny. Danny. We
2: lost Danny. Where's Danny at, All right. Is he getting, he getting? he giving him blood? I gotta check on my guy. <laughs> where's he at, man? He keeps using something. I don't what know. He, he
0: just went off. So what's uh, going on with Danny, man? I don't know. <laughs> got we about lost Don. Which I mean, that's. I think,
1: think, I think. I think. I think. Davi had to kick off. So yeah. 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 Blink twice if you're okay. It's
0: fine. fine. We got one more. <laughs> this last question about what we are thinking.
1: Yeah, let's let's go with this last one here real quick. Um, so we're about to talk predictions, but let's first gauge some expectations. Um, at Hokie and Bama on Twitter uh, asked, "What would you all consider a good first season under the new staff?"
3: No, don't and is- let's let's go let's go with let's go with David on this one first. Um, as somebody in the media who covers this team on a regular basis. I would say getting to getting to and not necessarily winning it but at least getting to a bowl game. I think winning it would be a bonus but getting to a bowl game which means you finished above 500. That is a successful season. Again, as we've talked about many times, football is a game where there're many injuries, the margins can be ever so slim. You don't know what's going to happen. But if in year 1 Brent Pry and his staff can overcome any challenges they face and get to a bowl game, I think winning it is is a. not I'm not going to you know put a, a grade on it, but that would be a pretty good season for a first year. Um, you know, just with the cupboard that was kind of left with the the depth that you know th- there's as I said earlier there's pretty good 22 starters, but after that the depth kind of wanes, so there's not a ton to work with. If you can get to a bowl game and and show that off to recruits, guys in the transfer portal that, you know, might be interested in, in transferring to your program in, in the spring or winter, um, you know, I think I think that is a good starting point for year one because you can say, Hey, look, you know, we didn't completely fall off the face of the earth. It might be a rebuilding year, but we still had some success. John, what about you?
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with him, man. Going definitely going to a bowl game, winning the bowl game is big. Um, but I just want to um, not to be okay with losing, man. I, I want to see a fire. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like last year, many times our players were kind of used to losing, it, man. It was just it was normal to lose, and we saw a lot of guys. Speaking of bowl game, we saw a lot of guys opt out the bowl game. That never happened when I was playing. You know, so I, I think it's important that we that we bring that back this season. Um, but I'll i agree with David, man. Think making a bowl game this year.
8: Grayson, uh, I think making a bowl game six and six, and you got to win one of the big three, and you got to kick UVA's ass. You beat you beat UVA, and you win either Boston College, West Virginia, and I'm gonna say Miami. All right. Win one of those, preferably West Virginia beat UVA, make a bowl. Dwight, are you still with us?
2: Yeah, I am. My bad.
0: I, you're good, man. You're good. So what's you know, what's what's for you successful season?
2: I like David's point. That's where I left off at. But um I think if if they can get to a bowl game, also if they can if they can win games, they're supposed to win. That has always been um the knock on us yeah. since I was at tech, since before I got to tech. But I'm part of that group that kind of set everything off. And you look about all many teams at Tech that would have played for a national championship or would have went to um, a BCS Bowl, Alliance Bowl, or a New, Year, New Year's Day Bowl. We we were always like a play here, you know, um, the Miami of Ohio's, the Temple games. If Prague can get us over that stigma of winning the games we're supposed to win, this is a 6-7 win team because yeah. You look at the schedule i don't like doing that because i know the schedule's tricky no matter what season even the alabama's you can't do that but i feel like if there's a mindset where they can win games they're supposed to win where we're not like man how did we lose that game i mean you got the <laughs> so many games the matt ryan's and all those different games where you like man we had that game. like you guys curtis you just mentioned it like last year man last year I was in Richmond watching the game on my phone, man. We were killing Notre Dame. We got that pick six. We're up nine. I'm like, we're going to beat Notre Dame in a primetime game. This is perfect. And bad clock management, crazy plays and substitutions, and then we lose. The Syracuse game, again, um, we're we're killing them. I mean, and then you give up a big play. I mean, but you can go back to even – when the Fuller brothers were there, we were in FedEx Field and we lose at the last 20 seconds against Cincinnati. Yep. So a pro can get us to a point where we can win games we're supposed to win. And I mean, what does that mean? Games when you're the better team. Because I think now you have, what, four or five games right there. Um, because, I mean, there's nobody on the schedule right now. Like, usually, back, back, especially when Jonathan McLaughlin was there during his era, they were playing like, the, the, the Alabamas to the start the season. I mean, they were playing because at that time, Jonathan and them had, they earned the right to do that. We, we put them in the position where they were now carrying the torch and they were playing those big kickoff Chick-fil-A games and they were ranked and they were featured and they deserved all that. Right now, I'm glad we're where we at. We need to lay later, later the groundwork down to get back to that. So if Procken just showed me a competent football team that knows what they're doing after a timeout and they win games, Mixed in with some trick plays and some some new wrinkles and some an identity because again having an identity I think that's that's a recipe for a good season.
0: I'm I'm gonna go with what Grayson said. I love the way you put it, Grayson. Go to a bowl game, beat UVA and beat a Big Three. Mm. Keep keep your keep your keep your in-state rival where they've been for the last 20 years. Make a statement. We we'll get to yep. a bowl. Um, but to your point, Dwight, too, I love what you're saying. I want, like, when Don V and John – we've all kind of made that point. When ODU decides they're going to come to Blacksburg again, they're walking in defeated. they like, man, we don't want to go play them. They're going to beat the shit out of us. We're going to go home hurt. That's the way I want it to be. I want teams that do not have the same level of players come in with a defeatist mentality. And if we can get that, you win a lot of games by that alone – because the other guy does not think they can compete walking through or walking into the stadium. All right, Brian, let's hit one more with all these guys. I think I know where all you guys are going to land on this, but we're going to hit it up anyway as our closing question. I think we've lost Mike with the kid, but that happens. Um, (laughs) We know, but for for the three fathers on this call up top here. We we know we know it's all good. All right, over under six and a half. That's where Vegas is putting us at. Let's go with where you're at, Dwight. Over under six and a
2: half. Uh, <sighs> I got us over, man. All
1: right, um, over. I, I
2: got us over. I just I I like the energy. I think we still a game or two, man. I, I like you know, especially. Um, I think we all touched on this. Grayson talked about this as well, man. Just uh, that first game against BC and Blacksburg. is a night game. I think again, you saw that last year with North Carolina. The, the, our fan base. Shout out to Hokey Nation! Everybody that's watching this right now. Our fan base for decades has helped us win games. I know that sounds crazy because it's not no magic involved, but you give them a good, you give them a great product, they will support it. They will come. You know what I'm saying? You build it, they will come. They will, they will come. And um, I think tech is due. I don't think it's you know this is an eleven win team or nothing like that. But I think you know the energy is right. I got us over. I got us over. But I, this is not nostalgic talking. This is more so just looking at as David and Mike broke down about their assessment and just looking at the teams we play, I mean, there's no given against any team, like whether it's UVA and all that. You know, you look at UVA game, there's been many times when we were clearly the better team and we only won like 24 to 21. So mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, yeah. we're just going to blow them out, but I just feel like you can win those games. West Virginia is a winnable game. Boston College is a winnable game. You know, Pittsburgh is going to be tough, but I mean, it's not like, you know, other than when they had Pickett, it's not like they just put up 45 points. So
3: I got us over.
1: David? Uh, yeah, David, let's let's hit you next.
3: Yeah, I've got the over. I, I think I, I've been somebody who has said for a while now, you know, having having covered the team, getting a chance to, to cover Brian in the spring and kind of learn more about his staff and the way they want to go about things, you know again, margins are slim, but if virginia tech can can stay healthy and we can and player development is obvious, you can see guys getting better. I think this is a a team that win can can win seven, maybe eight games okay. I, I don't think there's I don't think there's any any game that's necessarily out of the question. I, you know, maybe that's because um you know of the state of the acc just the state of tech schedule um you know i I think tech probably right now if i would have to guess i think tech wins seven games tech you know i think that's a, a good number um you know those old dominion wofford liberty those are three games you need to win virginia that's a fourth duke and georgia tech that's two more okay so which game are you gonna steal or you know what other games are you going to win i don't think the schedule is unfavorable but i also think you have to have some luck as well luck's going to factor into it i think overall this is a, a team that um, i've got them winning 7 games and i don't think i don't think 6 wins if virginia tech again i said earlier making a bowl game that's a success if you can win 6 games that's a success because there's going to be other factors that go into it but as of now you know, i've got tech 7 wins i've got the over
1: all right um let's let's go to mike next as he uh f- feeds his child there <laughs>
7: feed the baby yeah feeding the baby um and and what was it it was the over under is what six, six, six and, a half? Six and a half. Yeah, six and a half yeah man i'm leaning over to seven and five i think the six seven win range is pretty much right on the money um I mean, a lot of stuff needs to go right for it to be any higher than that, realistically, with the roster, the depth issues, in the trenches. I'm sure you guys have touched on it when I was stepping away from my computer for a few minutes. Um, offensive and defensive line depth, you know, I, I think is a major issue. It's an area where injuries crop up most often. Um, I do think Joe Rudolph gives the offensive line a fighting chance, but the defensive line is where I have a lot of concerns if you're looking at, like, You know, are you going to be able to get after the quarterback consistently once you get past the starters? Like, that's a huge question I have. Um, Playmakers on the outside, I'm still not sure what we have in terms of, like, proven depth there. I know there's a lot of talented young guys we're all really excited about, but we've got to see it on the field first. So there there are a lot of questions with, with this roster, but there's a lot of questions, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of questions with the rest of the ACC, too. And I think with the schedule, the way it shakes out, there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule, even for a team that's rebuilding. So I'm leaning seven and five. I think if, you know, you're going to bet a six and a half win mark, I think you bet on Brett Pride, his staff, figuring it out in year one and kind of getting, I don't want to call it a dead cat bounce, because that's usually what ends up happening when you have a coach going out the door. But, you know, I think... Pry and his staff they are going to be able to get more out of this roster than Fuente was able to get out of more talented rosters, if that makes sense. I just think the coaching staff is going to be a lot better. I think it's going to put the players in a lot better position, even though this is far from the most talented team Pry will have this time here. All
1: right, John, I'll let you go next. I'm I'm going
7: over as well.
4: Um, They got the ability to be 3-0 going into West Virginia, and I I really believe that. I I think we can definitely go 3-0. Going into West Virginia, that's a big-time game. Then we're 4-0. Then we're, we're going to roll. You know, that's how the seasons work. You know, you, you get on that roll. You keep going. You get better and better. Um, so that's that's the first three games right there. And then we have a challenge in West Virginia. And then you got the ACC. But then you got Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty. That's that's six. I'm, I'm already calling it. So in between that, you're going to get two or three more wins, I think. So you know, I'm, st- I'm Steal at
1: least one, right?
4: <laughs> I know we're going to steal at least one or two. So I'm going I'm going over
8: all right. All right, Grayson. Based on – y'all are going to hate me, but based on what I don't know about this coaching staff, I'm taking the under based on these last five years alone. I know it's a new regime, but I just – I'm just taking – I'm taking the under. I got us at 6-6, six and six, you know, 50-50. But I, I – just the NC State, the Miami game – even Duke, UNC and Georgia Tech, even those games worry me. You just never know. Like Coastal Chaos, it it just you never ever know. It's a complete toss up. But if we if we can start the season 3 and 0, if we start the season 3 and 0, we get that BC win. I could see us winning seven games, but right now I'm, I am taking the under. Who
5: who, who,
2: who who's got BC guy coming back at Who they got coming back at quarterback? The, the guy quarterback. who burned
8: Yeah, the guy who burned us last year. Yep. Yeah, he was. The, 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 the second string, Phil Djurkovic or whatever, who who made us look stupid. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah.
1: yeah, no, he, I, he I, was playing I, with a broken hand last year and still
8: yeah, did did, did, did some lost. work. So yeah, he, he had work. a career day. All yeah.
7: tech, all tech needs to do is win literally three games in September, <clears throat> September and October total three games because they they should go undefeated in November, right? All right. Like. Okay. The closing stretch is Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, Virginia. The best team there is probably UVA, then Liberty, but Liberty lost a lot. I mean, Georgia Tech and Duke, are they going to have five wins between the two of them? Maybe not, right? So, I mean, you could go 4-0 in November. Literally win three games in the first two months, you should hit seven.
2: Hey, yo, I understand Grayson's pain because see, what Grayson – I'm a therapist, you guys, and I'm licensed, and that's trauma. <laughs> that's, that's, tra- that's trauma. And I, and that's why I don't blame Grayson because I get it because I, I know what Grayson's going through because I, I I told people, man, after I sat in that rainstorm, we gave that game away to Cincinnati in the Military Bowl. I said yeah. I was I was never coming back. I was a scorn lover. I sat there with wet. You have you ever had wet socks? And I was there yeah. with my whole family. I was stoked. Oh, I'm too I'm too big to be that stoked, bro. Yo, and I was like, yo, I'm done. We gave that game away, you know, and I was like, I'm done. So yeah. I think Grayson's I I don't think there's no right or wrong answer. I like what Grayson said, but I think I'm cautiously optimistic right now. I just um, I, I am excited about the ODU, ODU game because we're going to know out the gate what kind of team we got. Obviously teams either get better or they get worse. Um, yep. So I don't want to make too much. If we win 45 to 10, I don't want to get carried away because we got some fans that we're talking about mm-hmm. playoff runs, but if we look competent and we're intense and we're we're flying around, I'm gonna be and win that
1: game. I'll take
4: it. But.
1: There we go. I'm gonna jump in here real quick because I, I like I like Dwight's point. I like Grayson's point. I like the things that Mike said as well. But um, where I'm going is is kind of a little bit of what Dwight said, a little bit of what Grayson said. So and kind of going back to what Dwight said, the previous question: take care of the winnable games. So we've got in theory six winnable games on our schedule. Yep very winnable games so if we can take care of those and then as john said steal one or two that gives us the over so my my heart's in i think we can get the over now my mind saying is that if we're not undefeated or close to it getting to october it could get a rough stretch for a while there and we need to see how we respond to that adversity going into those winnable matchups down the stretch we don't want to let games in october dictate how we play and how we respond to these more winnable games that are coming in november
0: yep i'm gonna just stick it at this i'm over six and a half that's it i'm over six and a half i'm over in a couple weeks here me and brian are gonna be doing a preview brian a few weeks ago told me he was gonna be under so Y'all are clearly changing this man's mind about what he (laughs) thinks this season is going to be. I'm over right now. Um, Because it is some optimism. It is thinking about – I just keep looking at games last year that were that close, and we're better at the quarterback position. We downgraded it wide receiver. We've upgraded it offensive line coach. We have a lot of core defense coming back. And you're going to a scheme, say what you will – this is a scheme these players were recruited for. This is a scheme these players were recruited for. No knock on Jay Ham, but we were trying to do some different things. That's going to be a big piece that the system's what these guys are supposed to play in because this was Bud's crew. All right, we're going to make one quick announcement. We're going to wrap it up here. Starting two weeks from tonight, The Boundary Corner podcast is going to start coming live to you guys on Tuesday nights, 930, not Wednesday. Only going to be doing it once a week. Um, Me and the big guy here, uh, our professional lives have been very successful the last couple of years. And we've uh, gotten some additional responsibilities with our work. So it's kind of tough with families to pull two nights a week to pull multiple hours away, so one night a week, two weeks from the nights when we start that. You might see us flex Mondays if we have a Thursday night game, but we wanted to put that out there for all of us. Hey Yo,
2: I just want to say, hey, thank all y'all, man, like Grace and the sons, all you guys, David, Mike. I know what you're talking about, yo, because I I got three podcasts. I got the joint I do with Mike, that's seasonal. I got the Victory Life thing I do. Then I got the Victory Life Legacy podcast I do with Danny. But I want to thank y'all on behalf of the fans because the VT community, you know, the podcast community is lit. Like we got, you know, I know Don V and Danny um, jumped off, but you guys all do great work. I'm fans, you know, Jonathan, everybody. You know what I'm saying? David, I read your stuff. Mike, I check for you. A lot of times when Boundary, Curtis and V are going, I'm on there talking and typing. So, (laughs) you know, I appreciate y'all. No, for real, man. You know, like it's great to have great content. And the thing about it is we've been, you know, a program that's been up and down. So if we ever start getting back to those days when I was there and Jonathan were there, it's going to be even better. It's going to be more excitement, even more listeners and more viewers. And then finally, man, like as far as the season, I'm glad I got you guys to lean on, man. I can't take any more ODU Liberty losses. I can't. I, I'm, I'm older. I can't take it. I can't yeah. take it, bro. I need some wins. I can't take them losses. Y'all don't understand, man. I'm older than y'all, man. I can't take any more losses like that, guys. That y'all that Liberty loss, you don't understand. I didn't even want to leave my house. You know what I'm saying? It broke
0: you. It broke like,
2: you.
1: Liberty? <laughs>
0: Liberty? Come on, bro. But By anyway, the way, speak, guys, speaking of dads, that. everybody, let's check out Mike. Mike is doing the ultimate multitasking right here. The man is feeding his baby and talking on a podcast. <laughs>
1: Hey, hey! I, I always say it. Mike is the hardest working band in Hokie Nation. He, he yeah. wears all the hats, and right now he's wearing hes hes, he's on a, a, a Hokie podcast panel while feeding his child.
7: It's the it's only—it's the only way I could pull this off tonight with a six-week-old baby. So that's
1: dedication, do. man. I, we appreciate it, no, no doubt. We appreciate we you. Appreciate hanging it. Hanging in there for the long good. run.
0: Well, listen, that is going to wrap up the 2022 Hokie season preview <laughs> panel. Special thanks, Danny Noakes, David Cunningham, Don V, Dwight Vick, Grayson Wimbush, John McLaughlin, Mike McDaniel for coming on tonight. All you guys sharing your knowledge, sharing your opinion, sharing your input with our audience. And y'all know this is some of y'all's audience as well, man. If you are new to the Boundary Corner podcast and want to hear more, visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all of our episodes while you're there. Be sure to hit up the links, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to YouTube on your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple podcast. Check the white Vic out victory light podcast, Vic seven, five, seven podcast starting up soon. Mike McDaniel on the basketball conference podcast with the sons of Saturday, Hokie hangover, check them with breaking SI stories. John, I know you and Luther are about to fire it up again. The locker room podcast get that one going check out mr cunningham's writing at tech sideline follow him on twitter if you love hooky football he is giving some awesome videos from practice he check is him great. out he is great, great video he is great tech sidelines podcast you guys do in the middle of the day i can't listen to it quite as often anymore because i'm in too many meetings now grayson sons, <laughs> you guys keep pushing out that content i'm ready for the full video release Of the preview. It's coming. Y'all keep it. Support all these guys. These are Hokies. It's awesome. As always, we let our buddy who lives down in Roanoke, Jason Long, he plays us in. He plays us out. Check him out at jasonlongmusic.com where he does have a new album. Check his Spotify, Amazon Music, his YouTube and Facebook pages. We thank you all for listening and watching tonight. And as always, I need unmutes to happen and I need to hear it loud. Unmute them all, all of you. <laughs> unmute you, Mike. You don't have. You don't have to, Mike. Let's go. Okay.